Hey everyone, how's it going? Uh, this is a topic today that is so inside baseball. I'm hoping a lot of people, either a lot of people are going to tune in or nobody's going to tune in compared to how many usually tune in. Uh, it'll be interesting to see because, but I think it's the kind of thing, even if you don't know the parties involved, it's pretty easy to kind of catch up. There's going to be a lot of links in the description if you want to like, click the links and see the description. But um, but people who kind of follow what goes on on media, Twitter, and stuff like that, this is one of those culture war things that's been uh, kind of blowing up the past week. And I feel like everything is culture war now. Like, if it's not some silly Star Wars thing, it's something going on with um, Amber Heard or Johnny Depp. And this is one of those things, I think, honestly, is kind of like... Uh, a chain reaction like i think right now we have a lot of uh feminists in general particularly like white feminists feeling like there's they're taking a lot of l's this year i mean there's a Roe there's a roe v wade um a lot of white feminists were invested in the amber heard thing because they felt it was kind of a referendum a verdict in terms of public opinion about me too and how people feel about it, because a big part of Me Too was uh, Believe All Women, and this was, in real time, a kind of repudiation in the court of public opinion of the idea of Believe All Women. And there were even a lot of uh, women, even feminists, even white feminists, who were split on Amber Heard. And this controversy, I think, it started with David Weagle from the Washington Post making a tweet. He, well, he retweeted a joke tweet. And um, it's not for me to say how offensive the joke was, because I know I, at the end of the day, I'm not a woman. I'm not, um, I would hate it if as a black person I had to sit through a bunch of white people telling me what is or isn't, um, you know, offensive to me. That's to me, that's for women to work out how offensive it is uh personally i just thought the joke wasn't particularly uh funny it was uh like beyond that it was a very low-hanging fruit beyond that joke level like you know uh so i'm not gonna weigh in on the offensiveness but i will weigh in on the i don't don't know if you ever saw the the original version of that joke which was um all women are bi it's up to you to figure out if it's Sexual, polar, or article. Now, the article actually makes it funny to me. Wait, wait. What's what's article? I don't even know. Bionicle. Oh, I yeah. still don't. I still don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> you never heard of Lego Bionicles? Yeah, I just don't. I still don't get it. I, I know. I know Lego Bionicles are like those um, movable um, things. I mean. Is it, is it supposed to be absurd? Is that what makes it funny? Like, is yeah, that... it was just like, yeah, it was just an absurd joke. You know, it's up to you to figure out if it's you know sexual, polar, or ironical. It's like, okay, so this person is not at all serious, right? Like, oh. bionicles are like alien Lego toys. So that got that's it, got it. Yeah, that that to me is what actually made the joke kind of funny. But that what I what I that I, I could see being funny is that you're kind of making fun of that genre of joke too by adding right. the third nonsensical thing, whereas just doing the first two, which is what David Weagle says, kind of, um, I mean, the way David Weagle said it, it's up there with one of those shirts that people 
put on when someone comes to date their daughter. Like, you know, uh, hey, whatever you do to my daughter, I'm going to do to you. That was, it, was, yeah. it, was, it was that kind of low-hanging fruit kind of Facebook uh, joke. But, yeah, you were saying? No, I was just saying that, like, it, it, uh, it's not something that I would tweet or retweet. Like, I, I, I really hesitate to retweet jokes that cast women in a, you know, absurd or negative light. Um, not because I'm afraid to, just more because I'm like, if it was a white person saying that about black people or whatever, I, I, I would be like, like, who the fuck are you to say this, right? And if it was like a woman who retweeted that or who tweeted that joke or retweeted it, be, ah, all right, whatever. Um, but, but, a, but, but a dude making that joke is kind of like, and you're, you're a professional reporter for one of the largest news companies in the world. Eh, you could, you could pass it up. Like there's no reason why you had to retweet it. But I'm going to play uh, devil's advocate, right? Because um, Robbie Sobe said this, and everybody jumped in on him. They called him autistic and all these names. And he said, you know, I can't believe men would, you know, say something like this. But he made he made a point that I was like, okay, it's an interesting, it's an interesting point. I want someone take it, like, seriously. But, you know, people just kind of jumped in on him and called him names. But he said... Uh, uh, how is a joke any different than the popular joke? You know, like uh, men would rather men would rather um, start a podcast blank than, than go to therapy. Yeah, yeah oh, uh, men, oh, men, men would rather th- invade Ukraine than go to therapy. Men would rather, like, I don't know, go watch the Joker than go to th- like, yeah, that that like tired ass genre of jokes. Yeah, 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 or like you know, men, men having just uh, no furniture in their house and, and just a Y two K. I guess you kind of say like, uh, how can people dish out the jokes, but there's no humor, you know, as far as taking it back, which I guess then opens it up to the whole punching up versus punching down thing, you know, which uh, I feel like it's kind of an overrated. Well, g- given for, how for given how inaccessible therapy is for most people, I don't really see how that's punching up at all. Like, yeah, would, and, would rather do blank than go to therapy. Well, I don't know. Maybe people can't fucking afford therapy. Yeah, yeah, and and, and also like, uh, is is Felicia Sunmez really, you know, punching down? Like, she's is she, you know, like like, at what point does your privilege? And some people bring this up with black people too. Like, you know, at what point does your socioeconomic status outweigh whatever, um, you know? Well, I mean, uh, she's uh, working at the Washington Post with a Harvard BA. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. And I feel like a lot of, yeah, I feel like a lot of her uh, stuff, like like when she was bringing up stuff about why she couldn't leave this alone, she was bringing up, you know, women. And, she, and, she kept, and I hate, I, this is something I hate, hate, hate when white people, particularly white women do. I got to say white women because I don't think white men do this as much. Maybe if they're gay. But the whole thing where she kept bringing up uh, along with herself, uh people of color and this okay you are not in the same category stop lumping them in with you in your gripe as if you're doing this for them um yeah. or that you're in the or implicitly saying you're on the same level as poc like that that drove me nuts she was doing that throughout like watching the posts shows how the science is us poc i'm like you're a white lady with no top lip who is has a harvard ba and working the washington post you are not sharing the same uh, struggles, even with other like Black Washington Post, like first generation, you know, went to college type reporters, like you know, hidden today. So Lance, if you want to um, unmute, 
you know, feel feel free. We can always pick up after your call. Yeah, you gotta hit the button on the top on the bottom right to unmute. I know you know how to do this, Lance. What's going on, bro? Killing us. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure Lance has been up here before. You know what? Let's keep talking until Lance. Um, I'll just keep giving the background. So, so, so basically, um, like I said, it's not up to me to say whether it's offensive or not to women. But he apologized, and he got suspended. He immediately deleted. So I'm like, why are you gonna keep going after him over and over um, again publicly? Like at least work it out behind the scenes. I don't understand why she was trying to get him publicly canceled so badly for like um a straight a straight week and then dragging in all her you know, I'm not even telling her she should get over it. If she doesn't want to get over it, that's her right. But I just thought she was handling it in such a horrible way. Oh Lance is oh Lance unmuted but then he disappeared. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Lance if you want to try to come back up, um feel free. So long story short, she basically got fired but i was really surprised she did this thing i also get some of my nerves that but i think it's on a lot of people's nerves and i feel like this was one of the major along with what happened with amber uh her this is one of the i feel like major turning points where people we've been talking about this privately you and i a lot about how there's going to be a reactionary backlash i strongly feel that a lot of like the victim bullying that happens uh you know in the name of like activism or or anything or the grifting or the climbing or the twit tweet wars that people that people have and it goes for everything whether it's star wars calling people racist and fighting people comic book writers like uh, arguing with fans all day and saying they're all racist um um people like having these meltdowns at public companies and trying to get each other fired and all this stuff i feel like it's gonna tie into because because now culture war and culture war politics and regular electoral politics have been more intertwined than ever to me in the past like six years where they're almost like interchangeable and distinguishable like like the culture follows the politics and the politics follow the culture in such a weird way now and i got a feeling like um there's going to be a, re a reactionary turn in entertainment and content and there's going to be a reactionary turn in the actual um well, you keep saying going to be, but I think that I think I think we're already there. Well, I, I like, think we're already there, but in the, but, sense, but, but, in the but, sense that, like, mm -hmm. the, so the people, the people that are like that are making entertainment and making news might be on a bit of a lag because, like, they've already hired the people that they were planning on hiring from like a year or two ago. They've already commissioned the content that they intended to commission. Uh, they've already like laid out the <clears throat> stories and assigned them to reporters, but I think like um, there's already there's already been that response from consumers of news and entertainment, where it's like this is like this is ass. We, like we didn't nobody asked for this. You know, most 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 of all, like we the consumer didn't ask for this. Like you're you're here to report stories. You're not here to engage in like you know week long drama over some stupid ass retweet. And there was a lot of, um, you know, goodwill that people were, you know, were putting up with this stuff. Like, like, like there's something that you said. I'm repeating something that, that you said when we were talking. I was saying how I never liked the argument that people used to make. They made in 2016 and 2020 this idea that social justice warriors are turning 
uh, people racist. Like I've never like believed it. I never like when they said, oh, you know, there's these all these good, um, open-minded, lovable, working white class people, uh, white working class people, but um, this activism is creating racism. You know, the whole Lee Fong type thing. I never liked that, but I do think to a degree, a lot of like you know the antic, you know. Uh, BLM like doing all this stuff, but then you find out later that they were grifting and buying mansions, and then um, you know things like what Felicia Sunmez is doing, um, people at Netflix, um, like the, the, this kind of in-house activism that they're that they're doing that is they work someplace, they um, start agitating at the place they work, which is fine. I think you should agitate. Uh, within reason to the places, you know, where you work. But then they also want to get, like, other people fired who disagree with them. And they also expect that um, no matter how far they go, they desperately still want to work at the place. They're, like, like to me, if you really hate a place, you're like, okay, I'm going to go scorch earth. I'm ready to agitate until I either get what I want or I get, you know, fired. Like, you know, Chris Smalls, he got himself fired and he just kept agitating. And I I love that. But these people, they kind of want a hug and they want to be able to berate the people at the same time, which I think is just a very confused thing. Like, there was this um, trans activist who was, I looked at her um, Twitter account and she was bashing Netflix nonstop. She worked at Netflix, she was an engineer. Then she went and crashed an executive meeting uh, with two other people that she wasn't that supposed to be in. Yeah, she actually crashed an executive meeting and tried to sit on it, sit on it to um, protest, like you know, the Dave Chappelle thing. Um, they suspended her, which blew my mind. Like they suspended her, they didn't fire her, and I was like, that's amazing. She actually just uh, burst in, and then she ended up getting reinstated after a month. And she goes, this shows that I was vindicated. And she went right back to bad-mouthing um, Netflix, right? So I'm like, okay, well, yeah. I, I guess you just want, you're on a suicide run. I respect it. But then when she eventually got fired, she was, like, really sad about it. And she's like, you know, I thought we were a family. I thought we were a team. And that's the part I was like, okay, now you lost me. Because why do you want to hug at the same time? Like, why... And she seemed to really betrayed, and now all she does is bitch and complain that you know they fired her and that it was cruel of them, and they promised, you know, that they really cared about you know diversity. I'm like, since when did you think corporations? I said this last week too. I said it in the other times, but when did like liberals and progressives start thinking corporations were moral authorities and their friends? And you know, like would they actually like get act hurt? Like you know, when I see people tweet stuff like, "Hey, Spotify." I can't believe you chose Joe Rogan over Neil Young. I'm really disappointed. <laughs> and it's like, why is Spotify talking about them like, like they're your dad or your government official? Like, like they're just somebody you pay nine dollars a month to. Because because that's um, how that's all that's how people interact with the world and with politics through consumption of goods, right? So they think that like yeah, I don't know I don't know whether it was like Yelp uh, reviews or I don't know. It, something about the interaction between consumers their ability to leave reviews and corporations has warped our concept 
of what it is that they owe consumers and stakeholders. Like all, all they really owe you is a product that you would want to consume or subscribe to. And if you but, don't, then you don't. But this idea that like that, that companies are supposed to bend to your will and offer, make like make the offerings that only you are comfortable with, like you yourself. And it's like, do you, do you think that like Netflix or Spotify or any of these companies are considering your sensibilities over, I don't know, like the, uh, what, what, Shareholders? whether, yeah, I was going to say whether they're, they're taking your comfort into consideration over shareholder value. Because but, but you, you, you complaining about it on the internet is not affecting their shareholder value. The reason that Netflix's shareholder value is being affected is because they've turned their product into a content ghetto. But it's got yeah. nothing to do with whether you're comfortable with Dave Chappelle having a special on there. The same thing with Spotify. Spotify has one of the worst GUIs in modern, like in modern tech. It, you know, that's one of the reasons that people are beginning to hate Spotify is that it's almost like they're trying to push the next you thing for you to consumer you explain, listen to. Can you explain what a GUI is for people? Oh, uh, guided user guided user interface. So, like the way that you interact with the software, right? Like Spotify's GUI. I when I first subscribed to the software, which might have been I don't know, like twenty thirteen or fourteen or something, but like it was already kind of like on the boundaries as to what's an acceptable user interface and now it's like it, it, they do the same thing that netflix does which is try to push you into the next thing that you're going to listen to or consume even over and above what it is that you're either consuming right now or what you're, you're looking for to listen to like that's the reason that people are having problems with spotify there is also the fact that like they pay their they pay artists garbage and that they exploit artists and pay them pennies yeah there is that but do people generally care about that? No, that's why Spotify's share price is still fairly healthy. So this idea that like, if you think that people are going, like if people are willing to overlook the fact that they're exploiting artists and making like overworking them for a pittance of what they would have made, say back in like the, uh, the 1980s, 90s, and even to the 2000s. If people are going to overlook that, do you think they give a fuck about whether you're, you want Joe Rogan to be on their platform? I get a grip. And- but I will say this, the run-of-the-mill consumer, I understand thinking they have a sway to a degree because not individually, but as a group, if enough of them really cared about this stuff, um, you know, um, it would it would make a difference and the share price would drop down. The problem is these people are the minority consumer but they expect to be treated like the majority. I think that's like the weird thing. Like, yeah, the customer is always right, but uh, if 80% of the customers are saying one thing and 20% of the customers are saying another thing, a corporation is going to choose the 80% that are saying, you know, the, the one thing. But also the second thing is, these people don't really boycott or, you know, well, a lot of them either don't pay already, they're sharing passwords, or if they do pay, they don't really boycott anything. They just want to bother people. Like, for example, right. I, I know a lot of people get mad at, like, these different um, things that are... Like, like, for example, here's a perfect example. Harry Potter. These Harry Potter heads keep complaining about J.K. Rowling. They're badgering um, Peacock to not put J.K. Rowling in the Harry Potter reunion special. 
And then when it turned out she was in it after all uh, for like five minutes, they all complained, but none of them wanted to quit consuming Harry Potter stuff or stop watching the stuff. They just wanted um, Peacock or NBC or, or, you know, the different people who are um, creating Harry Potter products like, like Time Warner to just protect them from having to see um, um, J.K. Rowling by badgering them into, but I'm like, you guys are not ever going to quit, you know, watching this stuff. They were writing petitions about um, don't let J.K. Rowling uh, be involved in the video games. Like, okay, so you plan to buy the video game? Like, let's go put money in her pocket, anyway. So, so, so a lot of these people they want to be treated like the majority, like they want to be valued um, because I think they think they're morally righteous. I think. They believe their moral righteousness is such that people should be begging to be lectured by them and deferring to their lectures. Like, like somehow their enlightenment is something that people should be paying top dollar for, should be giving extra deference to. Like, okay, 80% of your customers are saying this, but they're rubes. We're your enlightened customers. You should be choosing us. And that mindset is such, you know, you should be choosing us even to the point that you're not even losing any money, but, but, you know, you still choose us because um, we're the most uh, enlightened. And it's that mindset is trickling up to me, the employees. What happens is you have these employees now who think they're like the top tier consumer instead of thinking that, Hey, I'm an, I'm an agent of your company. I represent you. My job is, to help you make money or they don't think about themselves. They're like, okay, I'm not your employee. I'm your top customer. I'm your top consumer. What you were saying before about how the Yelp thing and like, you know, people think somehow being a consumer gives them this kind of higher, whatever, like they think they're the ultimate woke consumer, these employees. So they, they start working for these places and they're like, uh, yeah, Netflix. So, um, yeah, here's what I think needs to be done. You know, if you want me to um, really enjoy your product, it's like, oh, wait, you're supposed to be working for for me, not I'm not supposed to be working for you. You know, and and, and I think they're getting tired of that. They humored it for a while, but Netflix just recently, I mean, they fired people like that woman, and she was shocked and betrayed. She's like, oh my god, I can't believe they fired me they told me we we're a family this and that and and she just forgot she's supposed to be an employee that's supposed to help the bottom line and they were willing to i think to put up with it when money was really good you know but now that um the shareholders are um you know crying for blood they can't humor this crap anymore and these people are just really blindsided there was that article it's in the description but uh it was written by somebody it was like daily beast it says uh Netflix employees cruelly fired uh, by Netflix after, you know, being promised that they were there to make change. And, and they really believed Netflix was hiring them to lecture them and make them more woke, you know? So, so they were like, we didn't even finish converting you to, you know, being better allies. Like they think they were being hired by allies to, I guess, educate them. It's kind of funny. These people were like, um, it's not my job to educate you online, but when they get hired to do a job, they actually think it's their job to educate their um, bosses. And I think the bosses kind of treated it as a lost leader and good PR 
when they thought money was good, but now they don't have any space for for lost leaders. And yeah, I'm. That's pretty much it. I've been going on a little too long. Sorry, but no, no, no not at all. I guess the uh, the so the, to to tie this into the the broader uh, conversation that I was hoping that we'd be able to have, and anybody in the uh, anybody in the listeners group, I mean, please feel free to. Oh, there we go. Spencer's popping on up. The, the one thing I wanted to say was that um, that seems to be how people exercise labor solidarity now, which is not by um, taking their demands to management and uh, trying to, let's say, like negotiate for better wages, better working conditions, more job security, that sort of thing, but to argue for a particular type of content or offering. And they don't exercise solidarity with their peers through their position in the workplace, they'll actually side with management if it means they get what they want as far as this is the way that we're going to run the company now. This is what kind of product we're going to offer. This is who we're going to appeal to, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, do you want to be the marketing department and, and be management or do you want to, like, do you want to work for them? Because you're trying to, like, you try to do all things at try once. Trying to throw their peers under the bus. That's, that's like, what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Mez was, was trying to throw them under the bus. She was trying to get, like, she was trying to get Dave Weigel fired and then trying to get uh, Jose Del Real fired. Like, but um, those those are your co- like those are your coworkers. If you, have, if you have a problem with them and and you think that it ought to be resolved somehow, then you don't go to management. You go to your union rep. Union, your, your and then union. You, yeah, but, you file you file a grievance if necessary. I don't think it's something that you necessarily like. I don't think it's anything that's worth filing a grievance over. But you know, I'm not the I'm not the one working what? there. But that's what you do. You don't go to you don't go to management and then try to make yourself out to be HR. It's like pick one. Hold on, like, are you, hold yeah. on. management. And the public, she, she's trying to get yeah. all these blue checks to, to side with her. And this is the thing: they think there's a hierarchy of consumers. That's what they think of themselves. We're blue checks. We're, we're your top consumers. You know, don't think of us as employees or agents of the company. We're your top consumers. So you gotta serve us first. Then next comes the woke customers that don't work for you. Then third comes the rabble. But sadly, the rabble is actually eighty percent of the paying public. Like, right. like. Like, like, like when the money's not good, they're going to go to the rabble over you. And you know, get, you know, like, when, shocked. you know, when this whole, like all of this should have been, you know, when all of this should have, should have just like collapsed was Elizabeth Warren's campaign. Like, uh, you know, all of the blue checks and all of the, uh, you know, like the, 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 the influencers and all of the people that were like trying to turn Warren's campaign into a woke contest. Like, I, I think if, you know, the, if the democratic primaries were decided based on level of wokeness and academic and SJI approval, Warren would have walked away in a landslide. But that's just not yep. how it works. Like people vote and they consume and they make their decisions based on what appeals to them, not based on what some fucking Harvard graduate thinks the way that the world should work. But I, I'm not sure why it is that, that companies are still relying on these people as any sort of barometer for how they should prioritize their content, their news gathering, or even how they manage their workplace, because nobody gives a shit about these people except for these people. Yeah. Sorry, I, I don't want to keep Spencer waiting, though. You can, you can go ahead, bro. Hey, thank you. Uh, can you all hear me okay? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're, good. you're good. Okay, cool. I wanted to comment on one of the first things you said just there, Q, about that kind of attitude that I think employees, you know, and in this union context even, right, have about their coworkers uh, and the willingness to side with management against them and this kind of 
I can't help but see it as downstream from this. I mean, this complete degeneration. I mean, I'm only speaking from my experience in the United States, but of the labor movement over the last like 50 years into like business unionism and the union being kind of this uh, a seat at the table per, uh, approach that, as I heard you say, actually also recently, Hugh, that's kind of a, a, a quiet admission of if you can't beat them, join them in a sense, right? Yeah. And I think I think that that culture is just it's permeated into everybody. It's and it's because of the lack of coming back to another thing that was in like the discourse recently, right? Of trying to hide uh, fascist manifestos from the public eye because the stupid working class will read it and suddenly go do a far right terror attack or whatever people think is going to happen. It comes from that lack of like actual left education, and you know it's it's I don't know it's just something that's been on my mind lately. So I wanted to throw that in. I don't really have a specific question, other than that I think the white stuff was a bit uh, yeah. it was a bit much. That's all I really have to think about it. I, I can't some, believe something... multiple people lost their jobs over it now. Uh, did multiple people or I mean, oh no, I mean, I mean sorry, was, suspended. was just suspended. You're right. Yeah, yeah, but I will, I will say this related to what you're talking about. I think, right, one of the problems, and I always say this with them, um, they were never the people who were the class clowns, you know, made the whole um, class laugh. They were more likely to be the hall monitor, you know, like, like, like they were more likely to be the person where on Monday they raised their hand to remind the teacher that they signed homework to collect the, you know, stuff like that. Someone would complain like the class clown is making the joke and the class laughs. I'd be complaining like I, I'm here to learn, you know. You know, like they were never that type. They're but it's probably what helps them in their career. Like they how to impress teachers, how to uh, say or do what they had to do. Missions officers, um, you know, get into that clubs, get into whatever. Like like they're good at you know. I think performing for um authority and figuring out like what do i have to do to get an a what hobbies do i have to do to get into this top school whatever and when you grow up with that attitude when you're in a workplace same thing you're looking for um some figure up top to i mean like and that's what i think she was trying to do. She was trying to uh, play hall monitor to her. Like, like she, she doesn't know how to work a union, like I say a working class person would. Someone who's, you know, used to having to deal with other people and uh, be popular or whatever. She just wants to um, be the hall monitor, whine to the teacher, and if it doesn't work to the teacher, then she's going to um, file, file a complaint, try to speak to a manager, Speak to the manager's manager, and I think that's a big problem with how these people um, interact. So instead of doing what Q was talking about, which is form this kind of solidarity, I noticed that she was instead trying to have a pressure Olympics. And now the guy Jose Del Real is like, as a gay Mexican, whatever, I too know oppression. And then, you know, a friend of mine pointed out, oh, that was a whack thing to say. But I'm like, it kind of was, but she kind of put him in a position where he had to say it because she's the one who put it into the discourse, you know, about I'm more oppressed than you, so I should be um, listened to. And if that's how you're going to approach like workplace solidarity, like we're all going to sit here in the workplace and instead of trying to see what do we have in common so we can form a mass that can really fight management when we need to and fight important battles, I'm going to be like, okay, we're all workers, but you're the white man. 
I'm the woman, you're the disabled woman, but you're the disabled black lesbian woman, and we're going to use that to figure out who has the most rights in the workplace. That's just really silly, you know? 100%. I mean, I, I think that, I don't know, I always try to personally, I, and this is not a slide on you at all, or, you know, I, I think you're not necessarily even speaking for yourself or your own personal views, you think you're just speculating, but um, I try not to psychoanalyze people, I guess, because like, we can never know people's true motivations. I think it can be helpful sometimes, but I don't know. That all that said, I don't think you're wrong about you know this kind of attitude and where it comes from. I like I I'm, you made me think of all the people I went to like my private prep, uh, college prep, high school with, um, after going to public school uh, for like elementary and middle school, and what like a sharp shift in culture that was. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. I just also can't help but also think um, that it's uh, tied to the lack of class struggle, like in the union itself right? The union, the, the role the union plays in a lot of modern workplaces, you know, hopefully this is something that people can work to change, right? That the rank and file can work to change. But if we're being honest, it kind of acts like just labor HR. And that's not a fighting organization for the working class the way it, you know, ideally should be. Um, so yeah, it's, that's the only thing I just wanted to really emphasize. Like, I think that obviously those individual personalities and that culture is, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's all just tied in together. It's a chicken and egg kind of thing. Uh, I appreciate the discussion, y'all. Um, thank you so much. No problem. Thanks. No worries. I also wanted to introduce uh, Rory, who uh, has got an upcoming uh, podcast with the culture, uh, Radio Free Davos. We've actually been hard at work recording a few episodes. And Rory, uh, I don't know exactly how to... You're like the, you're like the Jane Goodall of white women. Oh yeah, no. Felicia Sanchez is like she's like white girl magic, dude. She is she's on a different planet. Like I know if, I I because I, I, I kind of called it in a little late. I was just coming back from the gym, but did anybody have we discussed like the the email that she sent out about um, in response to like the Uvalde stuff or? I uh, was that like when uh, no, they were no, asking no. when 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 the Washington Post was asking like, hey, like uh, you know if there's any. Um, thoughts or anything that you have to deal with right now, like let us know how we can help you. And then she made it all about her. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the yeah, that would be the thing. took me off assignment. Yeah. 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 It's, and that's the thing where it's like, you know, I think a lot of this, wait, 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 wait. you know, I... sorry, go ahead. T. Oh yeah. We, I, I wasn't sure if you, yeah, 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 so... yeah, yeah. feel free to explain it from the, from the bottom up. Okay. So what, what it basically happened was, so they were explaining like why, because apparently this this touched off quite a bit of internal drama, right, in the Washington Post. I mean, to the extent that allegedly they had, like, um, sources for their individual stories, you know, instead of sharing their sources and the, the information they had, were, like, asking the reporters, like, hey, like, what's going on with, with Felicia? What's what's going on in there? Like, apparently it was it was quite, you know, assiduous or acerbic, I guess would be the word, uh, in, in the Washington Post newsroom. And, and so people... You know, they, they kind of did a full story about what, or I, I don't know if it was the Washington Post or the New York Times, did a full story about what kind of went on. And allegedly what had happened is after the Uvalde shooting and after Buffalo, and, and you know, the, both of those were right around the time of the, uh, you know, the anniversary of George Floyd's death. And they basically sent an email saying, hey, you know, if you need time to like process, if you need time to step back a little bit, just let us know. We're, we're like you know, management is here to kind of, you know, we, we're understanding if you need to, like, take a little bit of time off, you know, basic stuff. And she, 
in a, in a magical move, Felicia Zanmez replied all to the listserv of what I would imagine would be at least a couple thousand employees saying like, just to, here, let me actually, I need to pull this up. Uh, so I get the exact wording here. Okay. No, I've yeah, got it. Yeah, nice. please do. Cause it's it right crazy. Here. Yeah. No, okay, so here, here's the thing. So the national editor of the Washington Post sent out an email. Um, and, and what it, what it was, was to, in, in, in their own words, take time to assess how you're doing and seek help if you need to talk to somebody. And this is like, you know, uh, the like what had, what had just recently happened was the anniversary of George Floyd's murder, but also the mass shootings in Buffalo, the mass shootings in, in Uvalde, Texas. And Felicia Sonmez's response to that mass email was, and this was a reply all, like everybody was copied on this. Yeah. Just a reminder that I was punished after I told an editor that I had to, to take a walk around the block after reading a difficult story. All the best, Felicia. <laughs> I like all the best. Like, what a... And, you know, it's one of those things, because the thing I realized, you know, going through the comments of these stories is that there's this idea that I think a lot of of people have where it's like, oh, well, if it was just a white guy that shared it, he this wouldn't have even been an issue. And it's like, now, if it was, I would say, maybe, like, a higher up, I agree, maybe. But just an ordinary hold, hold employee... Hold on, like, Brick? What? No, no, I hear, I hear you just fine. Are you? Am I coming through? Okay, no, you're good. I can hear you. Okay, yeah, no, I, I can just, you know, it's one of those things where it's like I, I think that people have this expectation that, that like, oh, if I was, you know, like white or if I was a guy, I would be able to say all these things. It wouldn't be an issue, and it's like, no, it one hundred percent would be an issue. <laughs> like, and I, I think that you know, like, I mean, if I sent an email like that in a professional setting. I would not be surprised if I was terminated from my job, like completely. I mean, that's to not only purposefully reply all, but to purposefully reply all in such a like snide, like on self-serving manner on like self-serving manner that has nothing to do with your absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like plugging in OnlyFans on there. It's like, come (laughs) on, man. Jesus. And, like, and it's, like this, it's like this weird way she's trying to act that she's doing it for other people, but it's so transparently, yeah. it's so transparently not because she kept bringing up uh, her fellow co-workers of color and et cetera. And I was like, if you really cared about them, you wouldn't be bringing up yourself. No, like you would you would recognize that like this is and all this other stuff and being OK. OK, what about me? Like you would not be doing that. Sorry, T, you just muted yourself. Yeah, I think you muted yourself there. Oh, 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 oh. oh no, no, I, I was done. I was waiting for Rory. Oh, oh, oh yeah, no, I, I agree with that completely. It's like, yeah, you wouldn't... Sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, I, I mean, I, I agree, though. It's like, I wouldn't... If I was that person, I wouldn't be putting my... Injecting myself in there as their, like, kind of self-appointed spokesperson. You know, and, and you know, it is, like... I mean, I remember kind of when I first heard about this, I was sort of like, yeah, like, it's probably not great that on a, a professional email platform, you're you're retweeting that stuff. But I think a, a much more grievous sin, I would say, is to, you know, essentially publicly not only shame your employer, but also a coworker, right? Like, that's a way more serious. Yeah, yeah, sure. throwing, throwing your coworkers on, because the thing is like, because what you've bis- not what you've told your other coworkers is that, hey, you could be next. Like you, you crossed my radar in the wrong way. 
I'm fucking you up too. Oh and yeah. That's like you don't you don't ever want to be you don't ever give your coworkers the, the impression that cre- you might have that kind of power. Sorry, go ahead, T. The environment she's creating is like French. Revo- the environment she's creating is like French Revolution type stuff, where it's like uh, after we uh, behead the first round of people, we're gonna start beheading each other. Like she totally gives me that vibe. Um, by the way, Rory, um, you didn't cut me off before. I've been done talking, but I got a feeling there's some kind of lag with me because I noticed like um, I don't think I'm synced up with you guys. That's why it seems like I keep cutting off or you keep cutting me off. I think it's something with me. So I don't know how I'm going to be able to fix that, but I'm just letting you know uh, going forward that there might be some weird syncing issues. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't, yeah, interrupting you there. No, I, I, I agree. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, the revolution devours its own sort of. So like some is getting fired is the Thermidorian reaction. Oh, well, no, Salma's getting fired is the, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's like, I mean, she is sort of the uh, Robespierre of this. And yeah, like, yeah. absolutely. Just this, this kind of humorless weirdo. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't, I mean, I guess I don't know her personally. I shouldn't speak to that. But yeah, I mean, you know, and a lot of people were, were you know, I think opining on Dave Weigel during and saying like, oh, well, you know, if they if they suspended him, like I, I would actually that's... say I would actually say she's less a Robespierre than like a Jean-Paul Maha. You know, the one that got killed in his bathtub. Yeah. yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And Dave Weigel, he's really like the Danton. He's just this this jolly, <laughs> <laughs> jolly man. <laughs> and he'll be there when they're all gone. He's he's just gonna be like. And the thing <laughs> is, like, he, he, he the thing is, um, you don't want to make a martyr out of somebody like Dave Weigel because he looks too much like uh, homeboy that played, um, that played uh, fucking dude from Narcos. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, oh Wagner yeah! Moura. Oh yeah! Yeah, uh, Escobar. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He looks like he looks like Wagner Moura, like a, like a you know like a more jolly American. And so it's like he, 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 now you've turned him into like a meme. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, like the, the thing to, you never want to do to a white guy though. is turn him into a meme. Now he's all powerful. <laughs> let's get to Shelly though, because she's been waiting for a while. We yeah, sorry, go ahead, Shelly. Sorry, sorry. Hey guys, how are you? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty good. He's on great. Good. Um, well, first of all, just before I talk about anything else, I just want to say that I could give a fuck less about Felicia Somnes or Debbie Weigel. I just don't care about either of them or if they lose their jobs. Um, but I think the thing that kind of drives me crazy about the Felicia lady is I feel like she's kind of doing the oppression Olympics, which I think is a big problem whenever you talk about sort of these people that exist in these like bourgeois, especially media spaces, where I know most likely that lady, whenever she picked up her coffee that morning, probably sneered at a working class person of color because they didn't sprinkle enough cinnamon on her fucking latte. <laughs> so I just, yeah. I don't, you see what I'm saying? It's like she, she's existing in this like really fancy bougie newsroom and then she reads a joke that she doesn't like, and that makes her feel oppressed. Like, have you been in a working class job? Have yeah, you no, she's the type had... to like, she's the type to like Yelp bomb your, you know, your business in DC, like your, I don't know, like your ribs restaurant or whatever that's been there for like two decades, run by black people, because I don't know, 
one of the line cooks came out of came out of the uh, the kitchen to go to the washroom and looked at her in such a way that made her uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's it's just if you, as a working class white person that works in the healthcare industry, you know how many snide comments get made at me in a day? Do you know how many times I get talked down to by physicians? All of those things. And a lot of sexist things happen. And I certainly, and I would also include that being from my coworkers. I normally just go, hey, not cool. And then they go, oh, I didn't realize. Like, that's actually how working class people interact with each other. Most of us right. are pretty cool if you just talk to us. And the only reason why we're even having a conversation about this is because we're talking about basically a, a bougie woman and she doesn't know how to talk to people one-on-one. -on -one, so she has to go to management. And just by the way, if you're working, like if you're talking about unionizing and all that other type of stuff, management isn't your friend. So you keep going to the people that will turn around and do something to you. It just, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like there's a, there's, there's this uh, dynamic that's developed in workplaces now that I really hate. And that's that like, and I think it's, it's come from these like petty bourgeois drivers. I uh, generally like, you know, they either come from money or their parents have like, you know, white collar professional jobs and they, they expect their workplace to protect them from all of the normal vicissitudes of human in, human interaction. So it's not enough that you go into your workplace and have to deal with, uh, you know, professional discrimination, uh, the old boys club or any of that stuff. I mean, that is completely understandable, but then it's now extended to this person said a thing that made me feel uncomfortable in the workplace. I don't know. Be, be a fucking grown up and talk to them about it. You know what I mean? Like, why do you even have to recruit your whole workforce into dogpiling on this one person to get them punished? Because they're hall monitors. They've been hall monitors their whole life. They've probably never actually, um, they've only ever talked at people or talked to someone to discipline somebody else. They've probably never in their life had a disagreement with someone where they're like, let's see if we, I can see where this person's coming from and see that maybe they're, they have as valid a point as I do, but we just have to hatch out and meet the middle. Like they've probably never had that type of interaction in their, in their life. They just um, talk to people's managers, um, talk down to people, um, expect people to, to defer to them. And, you know, at some point, you know, they, they hit a wall where that doesn't work and they have no other tools in their toolbox. That's my yes. thought. Yes. No, I, I totally agree. And then I wanted to make a comment about, you know, you guys were talking about like Spotify and people complaining about like Joe Rogan versus Neil Young. And you were saying something about like, what do you even expect like these corporations to do? And I would have to say in a slight defense of people maybe lashing out about that. Well, if corporations run your democracy, then maybe those are the people that you get in the replies to because your elected officials certainly aren't going to do anything about it. But if you're going to get in the replies, right? Like, for example, if I've got in my elected officials, right? Say, say that we live in a world where the government ran things rather than corporations, which, you know, we don't live in that world. But I wouldn't complain to, even though people do this all the time, too, I wouldn't complain to my elected official, but then, you know, keep um, 
voting for them. And, you know, like, like you have to, like, give the threat, like, I'm not going to vote. But on top of that, I have a whole group of like-minded people, and we've all decided together we're not going to vote. Like, and that's kind of the problem. Like, they're just tweeting one at a time. Like, um, hey, yes. hey, Spotify, you hurt my feelings. Like, they should be like, hey, here's a change.org petition of 10,000 people who are all going to cancel their subscriptions if you don't change Spotify. So I do get your point, but I'm saying, like, people who keep talking to these corporations, like, they're betrayed by their dad. And it's just so bizarre to me. And, well, and, they, and like they try to a, appeal to their morale. version of going to the manager. Exactly. There's a similar psychology with it. I totally, I totally agree. And uh, but yeah, then... like this is this is how this is how like I've, I've got two four year olds, and this is how they come to me to settle a dispute, because I don't know one of them is taking too much time on the tablet where they're playing Dora the Explorer, like that. That's what I would expect from my four year olds. I wouldn't expect that from working professionals. Yeah, I. I... I totally agree. And then the and then I'll I'll let you guys go. But the one other thing that I wanted to talk about is you guys were talking about the men will, you know, fight in Ukraine before they go to therapy. I mean, I saw the joke. It it was kind of funny. Like if if you're doing as a woman, I I get all the stigmatization, I get all that other type of stuff, and sometimes it can be slightly humorous even though I can kind of roll my eyes and be like, "Well, that's not me." but I can see how it can maybe apply to 10% of the female population. It's kind of funny. So it, just like how I will kind of giggle at some of the male jokes or anything like that. I don't understand why women don't like why women Shelly, don't Shelly, men to also do Shelly, that. do you know what I think it is? I think the timing of so soon after Amber Heard, because I feel like the way Felicia Sun Mendes has revealed herself to be, and, and remember they were calling uh, Amber Heard, like uh, there were experts claiming that she had uh, borderline personality or bipolar. And I think it was the timing of the thing. I think the Amber Heard thing had her really raw. She had some kind of um, um, sympathy or identification with Amber. I mean, that's, that's, my, that's my theory because it, it, I think the timing of it kind of set her off. I could be wrong. I'm just speculating. I don't know what you think about that idea, Shelby. Um, I mean, I don't know much because I just didn't really follow much of the Amber Heard stuff because, once again, it's a bunch of rich celebrities and I just don't care. Um, but I Jesus, could, thank you. I mean, I could understand how someone that sort of exists and like someone like this Felicia lady that sort of exists in that paradigm of those are the types of things that she's paying attention to and she's doing her whole monitoring thing about like, is there oppression over here? Is there, you know, is that happening? Then maybe she would pay attention to it. And so maybe it was like, she felt like it was just too many hits on bourgeois celebrities at one go that, you know, she had to speak out and lash out. But like I said, I'm, I'm sure she has treated in her ever since that, Dave Weigel retweeted the joke or ever since Amber heard, I'm sure that she herself has personally sneered, degraded and condescended to a working class woman and probably even a working class woman of color that she likes to defend so much since. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if you, yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but she, um, the reason I made that, that, um, connection is she herself, uh, did a sexual assault claim against a, 
co-worker and it got i think not only i think it might have gotten uh and she she also sued her workplace i think or something for being involved in it but whatever it was it kind of got thrown out with prejudice so that, that's another reason why i think she might have also like you know been very sensitive to the maybe amber heard thing because i know she had some um sex assault claim claim herself that a lot of people kind of cited against her on because they thought she seemed very uh dubious well i would just as my last comment i would just have to say um if she was trying to advance women forward but then she acted like a psycho banshee then she kind of brought women back so i don't really think especially especially the karen aesthetic this has not been a good couple of years for karen's and they're making movies called karen and she like fit every single stereotype and then some if i saw this in a movie i would have been like okay this is over the top this is too on the nose you know like 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 this is very unsubtle uh karen bashing but she was 100 percent earnest it was crazy yeah that was Um, that's the what that's the wild thing I think about people who are defending, like, cause the, you know, the, every article about this is full of people defending her and it's like, Oh, well, you know, this is just like a woman at a workplace, like, you know, raising, like making her voice heard. I'm like, well, if this is how it's done, like, I, I don't know, man, like this does that, that kind of seems like a weird onus to put on women that they can't, you know, again. Yeah. Like this is something that really should have been taken up between her and Dave Weigel. If that was a bigger issue instead of her, and, and and maybe at the absolute worst, her and the, you know, an internal HR rep. But, you know, to put it between her and, you know, almost 200,000 people is, yeah, it's, it's going, like, that's totally unacceptable. The funny thing yeah, was, I wanna, kept, sorry, go, uh, go ahead. I don't know if she was even trying to really get public opinion because she kept limiting her replies to just, you know, people will follow her. I think she actually was also. I think it's uh, a parachute so, for her Substack, really. Like, I think, I think a lot that, of this is, yeah. Yeah, but I think she also wanted to get attacks. I think she was trying to do the Star Wars strategy. She, because she kept bringing up, look at all these attacks I got, these nasty tweets, and she kept acting in a way that would so predictably piss people off. But I'm like, is she actually trying to get um, harassed and so she can kind of claim? Oh, yeah, like, she was absolutely know, trying to get fired. Yeah, like after. Um, uh, Suzanne, but what was her name? Oh, Suzanne, oh, oh, no, oh, no, not fired, but like like harassed. Uh, as far as like getting you know trolled, I feel like she was. Uh, yeah. Also, I'm not sure she's trying to get fired, but but but, but finish finish your your theory because because I, I think she wasn't, but I want to hear your theory. No, I actually think she was. I think she was doing the whole like uh, you know get your get yourself fired and start a substack kind of thing. The, the reason I don't think I've, so, and I could be wrong. Uh, this is part of the switch between liberals and conservatives that I talk about. These new liberals are scared to death of having to win the public on their side or do anything grassroots. It's people like who are considered Republican or right wing or reactionary or at least outside the pale or maybe far left or radical. They're the ones who right now seem to be wanting to do substacks. People like Glenn, people like Michael Tracy, people like like they're ready to go into the public and like i trust the people are gonna like me but i noticed these new blue check liberal types there are very they are very scared to not have an institution behind them like there's so many of them like they get fired off a podcast i noticed and i'm like and they complain that the podcast fired them and they won't work again 
until someone else gives them a podcast. But I'm like, all those followers you got from being on, say, BuzzFeed, why are you not just taking those followers and making a new... Like, have you seen Tracy Clayton and, uh, you know, that Another Round podcast on BuzzFeed? That that was... Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a callback and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but Tracy Clayton and this other girl, they had a podcast, right? Uh, and I've been Nagatu. Uh, Nagatu or something? Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, they got all these followers as, um, you know, the, the black girls on BuzzFeed. And then um, BuzzFeed did one of their budget cuts, and then they got let go. And then Tracy Clayton and the rest of them, they just kept complaining that BuzzFeed fired them and was a betrayal. And they started badgering um, uh, the, the, the Jonah Peretti guy to give them their back episodes so they can have their back episode. I guess they wanted to like post them up. They had talks with Michelle Obama, this and that. And they started like complaining to their followers to get them to harass Jonah Peretti. And I was thinking like, why don't you just make your own podcast? Just get a, get a Patreon. Just, just do it. Like you have all these followers, but I think they kind of realize, or at least they think people only want me as the black face at this big company. Like, you know, um, I don't actually have any real fans. I'm just uh, have fans as the Washington Post girl or the New York Times girl. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, and, I, and I, I understand know, None of them, for, for example, look at, look at Taylor Lorenz. They Substack offered her a grip and she didn't take it because I think she's scared. I think she would rather jump from New York Times to Washington Post. Like, she, I think they're afraid that people don't really like them, that that only... Um, blue, other blue checks and gatekeepers like them. And if they actually try to get a public um, thing where they actually need to get a, a critical mass of people, um, they're gonna they're gonna fail. That's that's my observation. Like, no, I, think, I, I agree uh, with Tr- that. Tracy, like, Clay, Tra- Tracy yeah. Clayton did not work again until Netflix hired her to do the Strong Black Lead podcast. He just sat there and complained on Twitter. Which yeah, yeah, mind. no, you're right. Like, for a lot of these people, their credibility comes from, or at least they they believe they derive their credibility from institutions. I, 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 I do agree with that. And, and to be fair, I think with, at least, I know with Felicia Sanchez, like, that might might be correct. Like, I know, she kind of seems, <laughs> although, I don't know, I, I'm actually kind of excited for that, that sub stack to drop. Uh, that's going to be, we're going to get some fire articles out of that one, I can tell you that much. Yeah, I mean, I'm maybe hate reading will get will get a lot of people to join it too. Uh, it's a look. It's a, a valid I, strategy. I mean, I'm <laughs> like, let's be honest. Yeah, I strongly suspect even her enablers online are not actually gonna subscribe to the thing because I think they just like her antics. But I mean, what is she gonna do in a Substack? Talk about uh, politics? Like, I don't think. The well, it's the thing too. Like, I don't know. Have you gone politics. through? Have you gone through her? Um, articles that she's written for uh, the Washington Post. Uh, no, like, no. I mean, as a, as a beat reporter, it is very difficult to stand out because there's not really a like there's not a lot of latitude for you. All you're doing is really just like following around uh, politicians or whatever your your beat happens to be, and just reporting straight on it. Like you're not offering any analysis. You're not interviewing particularly interesting people. You're just reporting things as they happen. So. When I say that there's nothing memorable or special or stand out that she's written, I don't want to be too unfair here because I think part of it yeah. is a limitation of, of her, her type of reporting. But at the same time, exactly. it's like, well, for a lot of these, but for a lot of these people though, they don't really have the talent 
too stand out. They don't have like the you know she might she might be a Harvard grad, but her writing isn't particularly compelling or skilled. She sounds like she came off of a college paper and happened to get a stint at the Washington Post. And I, I think for a lot of these people, it's not just the institutional credibility that they crave. It's all I think also the institutional credibility credibility affords them a bit of cover for the lack of talent. Yeah, yeah, that too. They have a lot of imposter syndrome. And I will say this before we go to the caller. I do think if she did get fired on purpose, it's not to try the grassroots attack of a of a, a substack, but probably for a court case. She's probably hoping to get a court case and then convince a judge, which is like another gatekeeper, another, um, you know, and, and maybe like, like a jury. But I think if she did try to get fired, it was more for that than to actually uh, try to free market marketplace of ideas. And uh, Jim, yeah, feel free to unmute. I didn't mention how long the queue is, so I'm going to try to move faster. Sorry, guys. Uh, hey, guys, can you hear me? Yeah, you sound great. Yeah, you're good. Okay, uh, I don't have too much to add, but this is a very interesting topic. I was thinking about what you were saying, T, about these a lot of these liberals thinking corporations aren't their friends. And I don't know about you guys, but I personally blame Bread Tube. I think Bread Tube, all right. I think Bread Tube has tricked not one but two generations of young people into believing that they're going to save the world by watching cartoons. Uh, I, th I think Brett Tube, I think Brett Tube continued it, but I would say Tumblr probably started it. A lot of Brett Tubers, uh, if you watch their, their videos enough, they mentioned having a Tumblr uh, uh, starting point. So yeah, I think yeah. you're right, but I think they started it even before they were Brett Tubers. Yeah, they do love Tumblr, don't they? Um... And I also think that a lot of these blue checks are creatively bankrupt and they know it. So they have to lean on these institutions because without it, they just don't have any smoke. Yeah, I, to I totally agree. Preaching to the choir on, on that one. Yeah, because I, I really saw it with Taylor Lorenz because when something offered Taylor Lorenz all that money and she just would not jump, it was like, I, I realized, okay, she doesn't really think she can really get, you know, people without that that byline, without that, you know, um, institution behind her. And I started noticing it like left and right. There's a lot of people like that. They they will just go from place to place. And if they don't have a place, they'll just sit, they'll sit on their hands and just tweet until someone else hires them. And, and, and you know, a lot of people, they don't like Michael Tracy. They don't like Glenn Greenwald. They don't like um, Freddie... Uh, they bore, but I noticed those guys, they have the people. They will create a substack, and then one thing I noticed. One thing I noticed, right? Um, what the liberals will do is not only will they not make their own substack to compete, they'll try to talk to the manager even at substack. They'll, they'll just tweet at substack or try to shame substack, like you know, why are you hosting these people, and just try to get substack to. Um, and I'm like, why don't you just go in there and just try to make better? better um substacks and you know fight them head on but they they want to just kind of if anybody follows like comics and what's happening in comic books right now there's a lot of these right-wing um or reactionary commentators 
who are all yeah, like Ethan Van Sciver and the others, yeah. Yeah, Ethan Van Sciver and those guys, they are a crowdfunding juggernaut. Those guys, they're like, we don't want to work for the big two. We think it's corrupt and whatever. Like, they're more corporation skeptic, right? And they're like, uh, you know, it's a dying thing anyway. Who wants to go there? There's no prestige in it. We'd rather just make money. So they're all crowdfunding. Um, there's that guy, like Young Ripper, even Ethan Van Sciver, that guy, uh, your boy Zach, he was comics and diversity. And they're all successfully crowdfunded. Every single one of the crowdfunding things has taken off. But these kind of um, woke people that they have at um, Marvel and DC, none of them will crowdfund. They just try to uh, get GoFundMe to take down the other people's campaigns. If they do try to crowdfund, it just doesn't uh, seem to work. And, and I think I, one other thing, you know, and this is kind of in, because, you know, one thing that I find very interesting is this sort of, antipathy that exists between a lot of members i know there's a lot of crossover with the same kind of people that like you know try to get other people you know deplatformed or whatever seem to also just generally have issues with like i guess what you could broadly describe as, as new media like podcasts substacks and, and i think a lot of it comes down to the fact that you know to have a successful podcast you have to be a somewhat charismatic person and a somewhat interesting person. Like it's not just, you know, to get a good podcast, you, it's not just like you had really good grades in college. Like you have to have something that, you know, this spark that sort of connects with people, something that sort of transcends the traditional, you know, kind of imprinter of the, the Washington post or these, you know, banner head media. Apparatus. Things they were told wouldn't matter in the meritocracy. You know exactly. I mean? and, and they're finding out very quickly that no, like it, what it comes down to, unfortunately, it truly is in many ways a meritocracy, right? If you're not entertaining as a podcaster, nobody's going to listen to you. And if you are entertaining as a podcaster, it doesn't really matter if you don't have these, you know, the kind of credentialed, you know, backgrounds and LinkedIn's that, that matter for people at the Washington Post. Like it, it just doesn't matter. It, it comes down to do people like you? And I think for a lot of people in, in these traditional media sources, they're kind of haunted by this sort of specter of the fact that like, maybe they're not, they're not right? likable like, people. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're not likable. Maybe, you know, I can pretend that I'm likable, but the minute I go out there, the minute I put myself on Substack, the minute I make my own podcast without, you know, Buzzfeed in the, you know, in the bottom left corner, you know, if I fail, then that's confirmed to me. So it's better for me to sort of hide or to sort of exist in this kind of gray zone of like, I don't, you know, I'm not really sure if I'm just successful because I'm a, I'm, I'm like working at Buzzfeed or if I myself personally am a, you know, I'm a talented, you know, charismatic person. And many of them I think are, you know, I don't want to like discount them, but, but it's like, yeah, yeah, it's this, I think a lot of them too, right? I think a lot of them, this was their whole goal. Like they wanted to go to the top school uh, to end up at a top institution. And that was just all that they had in mind. And I think one of the problems that happened is that they got to these big platforms that used to be powerful and used to be important at the exact time where they were losing, uh, you know, so, 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 you know, it's kind of like, you know, in, in all those like movies about nerds and stuff, there's always this thing about, Hey, um, you weren't popular. You were the class clown, but 
the football player or the class clown, it's like you weren't the class clown, you weren't the athlete, you weren't the cool guy, but, um, you know, in all the movies of the high school reunion, the football player, the class clown, they're pumping gas, and now you're super successful, uh, this and that. And, you know, I think that's like a very appealing nerd fantasy. And now you end up making it to those institutions, those places that we're supposed to be on top, and now those places don't matter anymore. The class clowns, those type of people are uh, the modern analog of them professionally. Uh, you know, the Chapel Trap Houses, the Come Towns, those type of places are killing it professionally and are more liked and more influential, actually, than you. And now they're, like, mocking you in his professional life. This is the stage where you're supposed to be um, making fun of these types, and, and now you're kind of reliving it again. That, that's... That's what I feel like happens with a lot of them, why they hate yeah, so yeah. many of these types. It's like, you know, I, th- I think they, they've, they've become a journalist at a time when, because of social media, you know, people can yell at you now. That's, I think that's something that, you know, traditionally as a journalist, you never had to deal with was the actual kind of the rabble sort of going like, yeah, you're, I mean, you had like cranks yep. who would do letters to the editor, but now like you don't have to compose a letter. You can just yell directly at a journalist. People can yell at you. The job has less prestige. The things you're given to cover, you know, it's like, hey, can you just uh, compile a bunch of tweets and call it a story? Like, like, like this, the days, the days when they used to be a really well-paid job, you used to get like two dollars a word, and you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's gone. Yeah, and 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 now it's sort of like you're in the wilds. It's like you know, you have to make it on your own. You have to make it, you know, on on sort of the the. The unfortunately, this this kind of unquantifiable, you know, ability to to connect with people, right? You know, in, in the way that, and and that's I think why they they really dislike, you know, Chapo Trap House or Cumtown in in particular because it's like these are the exact kind of things that they were told that they shouldn't do, right? These are the exact kind of you know, like kind of line blurring and and pushing the envelope that you know, in a, a high level liberal institution, you know, liberal arts college, you're absolutely told not to do. Right. And yet they're being, you know, both financially and culturally rewarded for doing that while you're being kind of shit canned. No, no, totally. Uh, Jim, do you have any last thing to say before you move to uh, GF? I'm going to say move to Davis. Uh, nope. Uh, have a good night, okay. guys. All right, thanks so much, Jay. Hey, you too, bud. Yep. Hey, Davis. Uh, thanks for being so patient. No, it's fine. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah you're good. Great. Okay. Uh, hi, everyone. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, I was thinking about. I, I love this conversation because it relates to uh, my own experiences. And, uh, you know, I, I, I come from the premise that uh, corporations are legal entities. Um, they are not sentient beings. Uh, they cannot support causes. They can have marketing departments and public relations outfits. That's about it. They don't have morals. Um, to me, hiring marginalized people and paying them equally based on skill level and productivity and, you know, giving them a living wage, health care, paid vacation, uh, maternity and paternity leave, ETC, 
that's more supportive to actual marginalized people. That's like an actual labor win. You know what I'm saying? Um, but if they put out, you know, Black Lives Matter, for example, it's like, okay, well, I guess, you know what I'm saying? That's not really support, quote unquote. Uh, so that's sort of the main premise that I am acting from. Uh, and I will relate an experience that I had, you know, uh, at my previous job, one of my coworkers uh, was just dying to show me a TikTok, you know? And this is what happens when you're African, when you're Kenyan. <laughs> the, the moment an American sees, like, literally anything remotely uh, having to do with Africa, they'll just tell you about it. <laughs> you know, they'll be like, I met this African dude at JFK once in 1973. Do you know him? You know? <laughs> so so this guy came and showed me a, a TikTok uh, that I was about, you know, a drive-by shooting. And how would a drive-by shooting happen in Africa, right? Uh, I'm Kenyan, by the way. And uh, so the premise of it was like a guy pulls up in a car and, you know, he's speaking in uh, some African dialect, you know. Uh, he sounded like like a was version of Forrest Whitaker in Last King of Scotland. Uh, and so he gets out of the car and starts speaking this indiscernible African dialect and he starts throwing stones at the intended victim of the African drive-by shooting. So the premise there is that, you know, Africa is primitive and that's why you would use stones for a drive-by. And I was just like, okay, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't yeah, laugh. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Exactly. I was just kind of like, okay, because the, the joke fails on a structural level, because if we have roads and a car, that means that we are developed enough to, why would we use stones? Yeah. You know, so on a structural level, it, it's a, it doesn't work. And to answer Q's question about why didn't I just say something about it? Well, because I was just literally coming into work and we were going to do a job and it happened I, in I real time. I didn't ask why you didn't say something about it. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm just saying like before, not me specifically, okay. but you had said, you know, yeah, you had said, why don't these people just say something to their coworkers instead of running to human resources, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was just uh, portraying how I it happened to me in real time. So I didn't really kind of, you know, you know, you don't expect that kind of thing. Yeah, And I yeah, wasn't even offended. You get shocked. You get you get right, you get shot. Right. You get kind of, kind of blank uh, Right. So, it, it when a joke when the premise of the joke is African. See, nigga like me, I'd be like, so, what's supposed to be funny here? Like, I I will just make it awkward. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm that type. Well, I didn't laugh, so that made it awkward because he was yeah. super excited to show me. Um, and and I mean, yeah, like so. Anyway, so I I thought about it later, and I was like. So when a joke like that doesn't work, it just becomes a statement, a racist statement, because the premise is Africans are primitive, and comedy is supposed to take those kind of taboo ideas or stereotypes yeah. and do something with them, like either exaggerate the logic to make them seem absurd, or flip it, flip them, you know, upside down. Like you're supposed to do something with the the premise, so that we can laugh at how stupid it is, but that didn't really happen, you know what I'm saying? So, should I have gone to human resources? I don't know. I don't, I mean, what would I have said? Uh, and this is a company that uh, offers, you know, 
one of my coworkers, who's a black man, uh, got paternity leave for three months. Three months paternity leave. Not many companies offer that, you know. And so that's an actual labor win for a marginalized worker. You know? uh, um, wait, real, real quick, real quick, Davis, your voice yeah. turned low, and I think maybe your mouth moved away from the phone. So if you can just make sure that you're speaking directly. Yeah, it seems like you, yeah, you're, you're like really muffled right now. Not really. I don't know if you're using a headset or what, but... Uh... Okay, let me get off Bluetooth. Oh, oh yeah, that's, oh, yeah, that's much, much better. better. How, oh, wait, how about... Oh, yeah, 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 this yeah, is much better. Good. Okay, good. So anyway, company offers paternity leave and insurance and everything, which is an actual labor, you know, a material win for, for workers, right? And if I had gone to human resources and they didn't fire this person, I mean, does that mean the company is racist? Again, these corporations are not sentient beings. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I don't know. I just, I, I find it very difficult to sort of navigate uh, these kind of conversations. Now with, with Dave Chappelle, for example, uh, I'm going to take that example. I um, watched that special that uh, upset a lot of people. And I, the, the thing that struck me, there were some terrible moments there of blatant transphobia when he just sort of misgendered someone and made a joke, um, quote unquote joke. And the premise was that trans folks who don't pass are like, that's funny, right? Like it's funny if you're trans and you don't care to pass. Uh, and so he deliberately misgendered a trans person and I felt a jolt when I was watching that. I felt a really, I felt a jolt. I was like, ugh, that's, that's terrible. However, honestly, uh, from my point of view, like there were the, 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 the actual really terrible transphobic moments, uh, were maybe three or four. And, and again, I hope that I, I mean, I'm not trans, obviously, uh, not obviously, but I'm not trans. And so, is it really in my place to decide that? You know what I'm saying? Because I was like most people raised in a, I was, I've been socialized into sort of the basic gender binary of male, female from the time I was a kid. My conception of gender is, you know, boy, girl, that's what we're socialized into. And so trans identity is sort of a direct challenge to that. Um, and, and I think I am transphobic. You know, because I did grow up socialized into this gender binary. And so I'm not, I mean, I'm latently transphobic. I'm, I would never, if I was like a cabinet minister, I would never, you know, put forward anti-trans legislation. And if anti-trans legislation was put forward in some government, I wouldn't vote for it. If I was part for it, uh, I would never attack a trans person ever. Uh, I would provide refuge to trans people. Like I'm not like an active, someone who would go out attacking trans people. But I was questioning myself. I was like, why am I not offended by, uh, by the majority of this special? You know, uh, does that say something about me? You know what I'm saying? And I was like, I think it does because I'm not trans. So, you know, part of me does resist trans identity simply because it's such a direct challenge to everything. Uh, I've spent years being socialized into the, the basic gender binary. So, 
the thing that that I found problematic with Dave Chappelle's special was his terrible politics, right? His his sort of disingenuous oppression Olympics, where he was talking about how you know the LGBTQ movement is so successful, um, you know, because and he used the example of the baby. He said the baby shot and killed a man, and nothing happened to him. Uh, but then he made an anti-gay joke, and he was cancelled which is completely disingenuous because the baby acted in self-defense. That's why nothing happened to him, right? It's not some sort of reflection of the success of the LGBTQ movement. He acted in self-defense. You know what I'm saying? And his mo his comments, his AIDS joke about gay people was homophobic. You know what I'm saying? So, so that's kind of what I really hated about that special was sort of the oppression um, Olympics of it. And I found that so disingenuous. So again, Netflix is not a sentient being. It's a corporate entity that cannot support or not support people. Um, let me ask you this. What do you think about yes. how they, um, how the employees handled it? Like, um, like storming the executive meetings and uh, doing walkouts, because one thing that eventually happened and this memo, I think, came out after the shareholder reports and the, um, you know, sorry, not shareholder, the quarterly reports and the stock drop and the stock drop. They um, said that on the memo saying, if you don't like our content, you're free to quit. And then a lot of people in the media got very um, upset. Like they were like, oh, um, how can you do that to your employees? Tell them that they can quit if they don't like the content and i was kind of like even though i agree with the right to you know take the problems to um management and everything i i did to some degree agree that um at some point you gotta be willing to take a stand and and quit if it really bothers you that much like you can't be tough and scared at the same time and you know i'm, I'm kind of curious how you think about about how they handled the whole Thing, both Netflix and the workers themselves. Well, again, this is why I brought up the point of my own transphobic attitude. Uh, and that's why I, I, the only reason I brought that out is not to self-flagellate, but to just point out that I don't really trust like my ability to judge that because do I think it's doing too much? And if I do think it's doing too much, is it because they actually are doing too much or because my latent transphobia makes it not that big of a deal? I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Um, who am I to say they're doing too much for doing that? So I just don't know. And and it's just hard for me to, to judge this. I mean, I'll give you an example for, I mean, uh, China's health commission has simplified the process for gender confirmation surgery approval, lessened the okay, requirements. Uh, Davis, real real quick, uh, you can tell the story, but just make sure the story you can wrap up in a, in a minute because I want to make sure we get okay. to the rest of the queue. Okay. All right, right. Yeah, I was just going to give the example of how, you know, there's a new law that came from the Chinese health commission where they have made things, they have had made some material improvements for trans people, right? Like actual material wins. I don't think a corporation can do that. Should we expect corporations to do that? Because they are not sentient beings. They are legal entities who exist for, for profit. They do not have consciences. 
So if you're trans, I mean, I'm not going to judge your action, you know, but if you have health care and pay leave and maternity leave and paternity, are those not material wins for you as a laborer? You know, is that that seems to me to have more weight. But on the other hand, I'm not going to judge how trans folks reacted to what they perceive as as transphobia. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, I will say uh, one more thing. Uh, thanks, thanks, Davis. I'm going to move on to the next caller. I will say one thing in response to what you said, David. Even though all you said about the right that they have, um, you know, paid leave and all that stuff is very true. In general, I, I kind of find that people now seem to really want to do politics for um, a type of validation. Like I, like I have started saying on the podcast that... Uh, people want to be want to be saved and it's got acronym that you know we've been using on the podcast but it's like seen affirmed uh validated and um empathized with the slash empowered and and i feel like for a lot of people not only do they want um to be saved in addition to getting tangible things i think for a lot of people we're at a point now where they'd actually prefer them to tangible things like if you give somebody a choice uh, Kenny on our podcast always says this. If you give somebody a choice nowadays between um, 100,000 retweets and like uh, $5,000, they'll take the 100,000 retweets because they're convinced somehow that's going to turn into money down the line or it'll turn to, it's almost like better than money. It's it's a weird kind of world we're in to me. But, um, oh, where did Amanda go? Did we lose Amanda? No. Okay, well... I thought, I thought Amanda was next, but maybe my cue is wrong on my computer. But yeah, uh, your comrade, uh, feel free to unmute. Uh, hey, yeah, hey, Trevor, Q, Rory, nice talking to y'all. Um, yeah, I uh, some kind of personal experience, um, I think, was, uh, and some thoughts on these kinds of topics about, like, the way that, like, workers in more, like, privileged kinds of workplaces relate to each other and to management. Um, I work in tech and I've worked at like vaguely uh, nominally progressive tech startups for like close to a decade now, which has been a very interesting experience. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that that kind of attitude about like, you know, the, the, the quickness, like go to HR and like lack of like solidarity between like workers in those places. Um, I think it's like, part of this you know kind of history and just the phenomenon of like these intermediate classes um uh particularly you've got like you know main intermediate classes between like the proletariat proper the bourgeoisie proper is you've got your petty bourgeoisie your small business owners you know and then you've also got like the uh my favorite term for it is like the technical intelligentsia um but you know the professional workers some you know professional managerial class whatever um but these folks like i think that there is definitely like these this unique aspect to the professional managerial class where like y'all are saying is totally right about just like being able to identify with um your boss and with the bourgeoisie like that is essentially what that intermediate technical intelligentsia you know engineers doctors journalists people like that that's really like what they trade on and like a huge part of like what allows them to collect like i should say us uh, to collect like uh 
you know, higher, you know, incomes and better working conditions than other workers is like a willingness to reflect back at, to adopt like the attitudes of the bourgeoisie as our own. And I think that you definitely see that come out in situations where, you, you know, like one of the things that the, the result of that is like, there is still an, an a contradiction between the interests of that class. You are te- like formally from a class analysis perspective, you're still workers and you're still working for capitalists, but because of the relative privilege you enjoy relative to the rest of the workers, the, there's really almost no antagonism between those classes. The, the privileges extended like have really like basically, you know, it's where you get like business unionism, but whether you have a union or not, there really objectively is not much antagonism between uh, most like say uh, tech software engineers and management. And I think one of the things that comes out of that material reality is that uh, culture, culture stuff and identity stuff looms like really large. And, and I, there's a part of you that wants to say like, it's imaginary or like kind of like say it's like, doesn't exist. It's like made up or it's not a real interest, but I think that's actually kind of wrong. I think it is like a real interest and on a certain level, it's not like irrational for like a uh, tech worker to uh, who identifies along the lines of like their opinions about like you know pro or con to identify with their manager over that commonality over and against a uh, a fellow worker who is opposed to them on those like cultural issues and I saw that like in my workplace like play out a lot and like it was kind of a frustrating experience at times to see like people were just like so quick to uh it was very unlikely to like try to work things out between one another and very quick to like i said just identify with the bosses about that um i don't know if uh you know anyone else has has thoughts on that if that makes sense no no it makes total it makes total sense i agree with all of it. I had to step outside, so I hope it's not a lot of background noise. But no, I totally agree with all of it. I think a lot of them kind of aspire to be the manager themselves one day. So they're in a kind of precarious position themselves. They're, they come from that class and they aspire to return to, um, you know, that class. And yeah, it, 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 it's, it's kind of like how the NBA has a union in those things, but it's a union of like millionaires. So the stars always have trouble um, supporting the bench players and the six men. Like, I feel like it's a mini version of that conflict in these bourgeois industries. Um, okay, so I'm gonna move on to uh, Geoff, but thanks so much for your comment. I enjoyed your comment. I don't know if you go by Jeff or Geoff. I know people with that spelling who have used either pronunciation. So it's, just, it's, me, I've never yeah, heard that Jeff one before. Here. Can you hear yeah, me? I've never heard that before. I've only ever heard Jeff. Oh, <laughs> I, 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 know, I know someone who used Geoff. I've heard all the mispronunciations. Can you hear me there? Oh, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Uh, so going back to the Sanmez thing, I think there's like a combination of a couple of things that are like extremely common in like upper class college educated media circles. Like, first thing is there's the catastrophization of any kind of interpersonal or professional conflict. Like in the yes. Sonmas case in partic- particular, 
like someone laughs at a sexist joke and that becomes they made me feel unsafe in my job like just comparing that to like if that you know someone laughed at a sexist joke in person in a job site like uh, have any of these people ever had to deal with being in like a normal workplace jeff jeff Christ. jeff something i was thinking about as well did you see an article by uh, sam adler bell and it was um about you know the new woke and i saw i didn't see that uh, well i saw a discourse on this article for a full day before i had a chance to read it because i was running around yesterday and when the amount of times I saw unsafe, in danger, gonna make uh, oh yeah yeah like people, the use of that that, that language yeah, which yeah, just totally article, devalues that language. Totally. When I saw that article, I'm telling you, it was the most tame article I've ever seen. Like you would have thought it was like calling for a pogrom or a genocide. Oh, totally. Like you saw that with like the like a couple of years ago, the Harper's letter. Like you had people saying, like you know, I I feel unsafe, yeah. like working with people who signed, like for for Christ's sake, people. <laughs> and like uh, I was gonna say, the like the second thing you see a combination of there is like you know you have the catastrophization of any kind of conflict, and added to the, to that you have this like instinct where like the first instinct when dealing with that conflict is to like publicly shame the person like go viral like you know i'm gonna like quote tweet them on twitter and publicly shame them rather than like you know go through hr or you know you know do the like normal adult thing of like just talk to them in person oh yeah yeah totally uh see, you know something else that kind of drives me nuts too uh to go back a little bit to that unsafe thing uh something else that drives me crazy is when the person is not even of the group. That they oh, to oh, totally. Like the people <laughs> who will the be person, the yeah. most vocally saying like this makes like, you know, BIPOC, black, whatever people, it's most likely to be like a white cis person saying. That. Yeah, yeah. It's like a 60 year old like white cis person who lives in, oh, lives totally. in New Haven. And, you know, and, and it'll be like, and it's also, I'm especially mad because of all the black, queer, trans uh, allies I have that will be in danger. Like you don't even know anybody like that. Like, like stop. <laughs> you're just mad over an interpersonal thing, and you're using like yeah. seriously, this, uh, seriously targeted people as like your shield. And yeah, just just drives me nuts. Yeah, yeah. But like, uh, yeah. But and, and like the just the instincts to like as a first resort go to publicly shaming rather than just you know you know dealing with something as a adult should do just like talk to this person in in, in person you know hash it out or whatever if that doesn't work you know you can go to hr but you know you don't get twitter clout for that you or don't in get likes situation, and retweets for that reasons. yeah yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, fi filing an HR grievance privately within the company, that doesn't get you likes and retweets and, and clout on Twitter. Uh, yeah, totally, you know, I, totally. It's something that uh, that guy David said before about uh, filing a, re a human resources claim. I don't think there's anything wrong with filing a human resources claim. Some things are better to do in a human resources claim than, you know, cause a scene at work but with the day yeah. legal thing it was already being handled so like why were you going to the court of public opinion like you were hoping they were going to um you know swarm washington post on your behalf but 
she kind of knows. One way that I know these people know they have no grassroots support, they can't even leave a single tweet open to replies. You ever know? Oh, that? oh yeah, whenever, yeah, for sure, for sure. Tweet, they whenever you see that, just, you know. Yeah, they will never just leave a tweet open because they know ninety yeah. percent of people hate them. Uh, and it was. I, I, anyway I think Sanmez was, was leaving some open, and she was like, actually, like she was going deep. She was re- replying to people. She had, she was on there for like a week, freaking just. Every tweet, I, every tweet, every tweet, White I saw, girl magic. Every tweet, yeah, every tweet, I, every tweet I saw, she wasn't leaving open. Like they were killing her in the quote tweets. Ah, uh, okay. Like, Maybe that's tweets. what I was but saying. The, but sometimes I definitely saw her replying to people. I think no, she was no, replying to quote tweets though. No, she not, not, not just that. She replied to some people. This was funny. She only let people who follow her reply. But and this is what I'm saying. This is so unpopular. Even with that shield, <laughs> some people, some people were still coming at her. Like, like oh, one, yeah. of her fellow co- one of her fellow coworkers at Washington Post was also a woman. And she probably thought, oh, this is safe. I only let my followers uh, do. And then the woman said, please stop. And then she started <laughs> trying to snitch her. So she replied to her, but she started trying to snitch on that person. And then one of her fellow friends at Washington Post. Oh, I saw this one. He was like trying to shame everyone who liked the post. He was like, I spent two hours looking through all the likes on this post. And here's the list of all the Washington Post people who liked the the reply saying, like, please stop tweeting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then then she, she also wrote the boss. You said you want a collegial atmosphere. This person replied to Felicia and said, stop. You know, so it's like, yeah, yeah. She was replying, but it was because even amongst that filter of only people who follow her, there were still some people like, just shut, shut up, bitch, stop. You know, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> what, one last thing I wanted to mention is just like in terms of uh, just the actual thing that happened, like Dave Weigel actually got suspended without pay. Where was the union in this? Like, aren't they part of a union at WAPO? Aren't they supposed to, like, you know, sh- should you have a union defending you if they're going to freaking suspend you without pay for a month for uh, just a retweet? I mean, maybe the union is just doing it, but behind the scenes, you know, because it would be kind of maybe. I mean, maybe they're actually making a statement, but it is a week, so I feel like the statement would have happened by now. You're right. Yeah. It, it definitely seems like there was going on more behind the scenes because like i mean she got fired eventually but you you got to know that there was you know three or four or five warnings to her from the wapo before that because like she was already suing them for the other thing so if they actually went and fired her you know guaranteed they're you know they're covering their bases they had like four or five written warnings in the last week saying you know stop slagging off your coworkers in public that's against our media policy like you know they had to be like doing that in private and covering their bases. <laughs> Something I do notice about liberal blue check types, they won't really do uh, crowdfunding or Substack or independent Patreon stuff, but I do notice they are fine with doing PayPal and Venmo and Cash App. <laughs> so I'm curious to see if we'll see her do that. I, I'm do curious. Substack, like, but, I, 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 yeah. I know there was a couple of people earlier saying like, oh, you know, this, she was intending to get fired. She's, this is how she's starting her Substack. And I, I don't know if she's part of that. Like, most of the people I see defending her on Twitter are the people who freaking hate Substack. Exactly. You, know, like you got, uh, like, Jude Doyle and people going, like, all in defending Sunmas. I would who, not even like, be surprised hate... that she started a Substack. Yeah, I'm surprised she started a Substack and they got mad at her. 
how dare you legitimize Substack? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, get, getting mad at her because she's on Substack and like Substack, you know, supports transphobes and, you know, whatever. You know, you have like a lot of the people who I saw defending Sonomaz are the people who, uh, you know, they have a big grudge against Substack because, you know, Substack hosts people they disagree like, with. kind of wild to me, too, because, I mean, by the same token, uh, you know, the everybody was mad at George F. Will, who writes for the Washington Post for writing um a uh, a transphobic column uh basically talking about like uh you know the the school that um fell victim to the the pronoun police mm-hmm. and then what it turns out was uh, the school was like um making it i believe the story was that it was it was like it was like trying to make it impossible for children to even talk about trans identity but the thing is mm-hmm. like so george george will writes for the washington post uh jesse single writes for atlantic and the new york times but you don't see people saying, "Oh, it's it." You know, why would you, why would you write for the Atlantic, or why would you write for the New York oh, Times, yeah. or why would you write for the Washington Great Post? Great point. Great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and like you see, like people like I think Jude Doyle in particular was like just railing against Substack because they host, you know, people they have a personal grievance with, like Jesse Single, and then they go to like a prop. I think Jude Doyle, in fact, went to a platform like Ghost, which has no moderation policy and will host anyone, like. Okay, <laughs> so what is your actual principle there? Yeah, like Ghost is not a newsletter service. Ghost is yeah, a, yeah. it's basically like a Squarespace. Yeah, right. It's like it's not for creating newsletters or even blogs. It's for creating whatever kind of website you want. So yeah, like the, 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 yeah, but like yeah. the the thing is like they'll host anyone. But like okay, you're you. I, I don't want to be in the platform that will host these people, but I'll go to the the other platform, which will literally host anyone. I guess, I guess, um, because Substack was actually paying people, not just like you know hosting them, they're giving them like advances and everything. Yeah, there was I agree that. With you. But I mean, I, like, I agree they with were. You. At the at the end of the day, it's not that big a difference, you know. It's yeah, still... yeah. Yeah. And I mean, oh, I... Substack was trying to like, the, I mean, they were paying like, uh, oh, what's her name? Camera. Like they they were paying people like definitely like on the other side of that as well, like. Uh, hey, hey, Jeff. Uh, thanks for the um, call, but I want to right. after, after Owen. But yeah, 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 yeah. Really, no problem. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, Owen, uh, feel free to come into the queue. And, and Rory, were you about to say something? Oh no, I just wanted to kind of. I think one of the the biggest issue that people have with Substack is that again, it's like you know, you with Substack, and I know that they they do pay certain like certain people to comment on it and then to to have Substacks, but like again, it's it comes down to kind of you have to do this on your own, right? It's it's your own kind of natural talent. And I, I, I think that that's – I don't want to say that, like, people that work at the Washington Post aren't talented or they're bad at their jobs. What I'm trying to say is that there's always this sense, I think, amongst these media, you know, journalists and commentators that – you know, there. it's like, well, I don't really know if I'm actually popular or if, you know, it's just the letterhead. And and I think that that's what drives them especially kind of insane about something like Substack, where it's like, why are these people getting kind of the prestige that I feel like I deserve, I should be having, you know, as opposed to like the Atlantic, which I think they understand. There's There's a level of understanding there where it's like, oh, this is just like what I'm doing. But kind of, you know, at a at just a different kind of masthead, right? And, and so I think that for them in particular, there's this sort of almost a desire 
uh, and, and, a, and a frustration with Substack where it's like they want the, the editorial freedom and the, the voice that a Substack provides. But at the same time, they also don't really think that they're able to to do that. You know, and, and I don't think that's maybe a reflection on their own talent. I think that's their you know, self-criticism at work. But because of that, they tend to manifest it sort of as just outward disdain for Substack. Right. And that's that was just my my little point there. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I also think they don't actually want a free-for-all either, as in, like, I don't think uh, they would like the total freedom of a wild, wild west. I think they like the idea of having somebody to please, if that, if that makes sense. Oh, so yeah, like, no, I, I think so, what they so, want so like, is they, they want, want the everything freedom. they have at their newspaper, but at the same time, they also want, because, totally you know, there is something seductive about the the sort of ability and, and and the financial remuneration which is you know compared to a lot of journalists even at these major papers you know quite substantial um that comes with a substack so it's sort of both right i agree though yeah yeah yeah, yeah. what i think is i think they want um a boss they want somebody who um uh, is gonna be like the father figure or the gatekeeper or the up high approver but to get nothing but affirmation from them like, like they wouldn't want to be their own boss. They want to have a boss, but the boss they have just does nothing but say, uh, you're great. Can you teach me? You know, um, uh, they want their manager. They want to sit their management ass down and listen. You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, Owen, feel free to unmute. And we're going to end it with Owen. What's up, everybody? How y'all doing? Uh, pretty good, man. Pretty good. Always a pleasure. Good. Always a pleasure to see you. Yeah, appreciate it, appreciate it. Um, I guess I just wanted to just touch on the main topic by first starting off by saying um, I think the reason why these Netflix employees and Felicia responded this way because to Gen X and millennial, millennial liberals, there is no difference between activism and dogpiling or public shaming. And they believe this because those that have been branded by the left wing of capital as BLM, like Negro saviors, have always used social media in that same way for their self-defined social justice. I agree in the sense that like they haven't they haven't learned tools beyond, quote unquote, raising awareness, which is why, like, you know, there's always this, uh, I don't know, conversation about raising awareness where it comes to police brutality, but also where it comes to mental health, raising awareness on misogyny in the workplace, raising awareness of rape culture, yada, yada, yada. So I think for a lot of people, um, this, like this idea of awareness is as far as their activism can go and they can't really take it to the necessary logical extent, right? This is actually why I have a lot of, like, even though I don't agree with like the, like the rad, uh, like the radical liberal feminists, you know, like the Catherine McKinnon, Andrea Dworkin types, even though I may not agree with them, there's actually something that I do find like endearing about their politics, which is like they believe it right to the hilt and they're willing to take it as far as like the, uh, like they're willing to take their politics to the farthest logical extent. Right. So they will talk about things like, yes, uh, even though um, Eva Braun was a Nazi she was still a woman and therefore oppressed. Like they'll 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 
say that with a straight face because they actually believe in their politics. And I think where it uh, comes wasn't to it, wasn't yeah. it tweeted by Abe Braun like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was. Oh, there, there was. was. There absolutely was. Unfortunately, it was kind of wild. It was wild, but I was like, you know what? I think this is bizarre and fucked up, but at the same time, I respect it because you actually like you believe in what you say you believe. So, like for for these radical uh, feminist liberals, um, they they don't need the imprimatur of institutions. They don't need academia. They don't need anyone to validate their worldview. Their worldview is validated by each other, like by their sisterhood. And I think that the the thing that bothers me about these, like, you know, these, like these woke watching liberal types is because I don't think they actually really believe their worldview. What they want is for people to validate their careerism um, and to get institutions to stand behind them. But if it means that they'll get a paycheck and then have to ditch their beliefs, they'll do it in a heartbeat. Um, this ties into something perfectly. Um, Vice had this article. Uh, I think I might have not put it into the description because the description just had too many links already, so I had to make some choices. But it was by Gita Jackson, and it was called Netflix Lays Off the Journalists It Just Hired. And... Um, and, and they have these websites at Netflix. I don't know if anybody's seen them. They have corresponding Twitter accounts and they have corresponding podcasts. But the Strong Black Lead, which is the uh, Twitter account and website and podcast that shills for, uh, you know, the black shows on Netflix. There's Contoro, which is for all in, in Spanish, which is uh, for the uh, Hispanic uh, content on Netflix, and then there was something for the Asians that uh, I didn't even hear about it until the layoffs. Like uh, I think it was might have been called Golden something, uh, but all their friends in they hired a bunch of journalists to work for these shill blogs and shill sites. And what was weird was that they were acting like they were still doing journalism, but not just journalism, but activism journalism by shilling for identity and uh daily beast had articles um all these different and the people doing the articles are basically these people's friends and they're mostly mad because they want this economy to continue because they're hoping to be next so their friends getting fired makes it seem and i looked at the salaries these people were getting six six figures you know they were getting more than they were getting in journalism you know and if you read this article advice and you know uh, i'll just read part of it It says um just a few months after starting it netflix had laid off multiple employees at to them in an editorial wing of the company intended to boost the platform's original shows no that is not an editorial uh wing of the company any more than that paid advertisement in the magazine that is made to look like an article you know the advertorial it's really an editorial no it's just it's just marketing, right? But it goes, to them was supposed to be a fandom engine for Netflix designed to support its original content with, orig- with original editorial content. On the site, you'll find blogs about shows like Old Enough or Inventing Anna, the Shonda Rhimes show. Uh, the site also featured news about Netflix shows and exclusive interviews of the people who make them. It was designed to be a one-stop shopping for all things Netflix related. It was an ambitious venture that saw Netflix explicitly courting journalists and writers and media 
who were paid better than most journalists uh jobs they to be goes, fair if they could if they could get a journalist to hunt down ezra miller i think they would actually be working there. <laughs> they'd, be, they'd be earning the thief on that one. Oh yeah but, but but they would have to hire uh ezra miller for a netflix show for netflix to even bother to do that i, I thought netflix. he was in a netflix show maybe i was wrong about that uh, uh it, it continues layoffs are very common in journalism so now trying to bring in the sympathy and you know this kind of um, moral duty that Netflix had to keep these people employed because journalism is hard. So she brings in this, the violins. Layoffs are very common in journalism. According to the Columbia Journalist Review, over 6,000 writers were laid off during the pandemic. Some of the writers laid off have noticed that when uh, noted on Twitter that when Netflix approached them, they were told this would be different, a more stable kind of job, you know? And, um, in a Business Insider article published in February, employees said that Netflix wooed them with the promise of more stability and higher wages than journalism had offered in recent years. And then it continues, if Netflix says, quote, we're going to pay you a more than livable wage and let you continue to write about the things that you write. Honestly, why wouldn't you do that? One writer told Insider. And it goes on and on. But this is not journalism. You're a marketer. This is the marketing department. No matter how you try to spin this, as in you're doing some kind of activist journalism or whatever, the reason it pays you more than journalism is because it's not journalism. It's marketing for a tech company. You're, yeah, you're, a, I, tech, you're a tech company marketer. Just, just face it. Yeah, and, and I think one, you know, one thing that, that sort of ties that in, because I, I was thinking a lot about this with the, the Dave Weigel stuff, is that there's this desire, I think, to have journalists and commentators and pundits, I guess, sort of break down the wall of professionality and, and have a more intimate relationship with their audiences. I, I think that that might have been kind of caused by this sort of shift more towards podcasts and towards Substack. So, you know, less of a, you know, there's, there's less of a mediator between the audience and, and the pundit that would come from a traditional journal or a traditional, you know, media kind of point posts like that you know and i think that netflix is trying to tap into that by bringing these people in but but the reality is that you know when you have that sort of lack of of filter in between or not even filter just the lack of a mediator between an audience and a journalist you you will inevitably end up with things like you know felicia sanmez and dave weigel where dave weigel on a you know, on a main account is tweeting a joke, which or retweeting a joke, which look, you know, it is a sexist joke, I think, you know, and I think that if I was tweeting from my professional account, I might not, you know, I might think twice about retweeting that. But I, I guess, you know, it's tough because his personal and his work account are sort of shared, right? But yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's kind of funny because is it a is it a work account? If it's the account he had before he started working, it, it's kind of weird because now as a journalist, part of what you do is to be a brand and you know yeah. so so it's kind of his personal account but it's also it, it, yeah his, exactly his it, it exists in this gray this gray intermediary between yep. the between professional and personal and and it and so for you know a company like netflix or for, sorry a company like the washington post you know it, it's very easy for them to you know you know get subscribers and to financialize the the sort of relationship between this journalist and and their audience but then as soon as something bad happens like you know as soon as you know dave weigel retweets you know a very lightly sexist joke but a sexist joke nonetheless 
you know, all of a sudden they can step back and say, well, you know, it's not in our social media policies. You know, it's like, well, yeah, but that's he's not Dave Weigel, Washington Post. He's just Dave Weigel that happens to work at the Washington Post. And, you know, you're completely willing to take, you know, whatever subscription money he brings in from having those, you know, I don't know how many like 400,000 followers that he has. But at the same time, you know, as soon as, as that causes any kind of controversy, you sort of let, leave him out to hang. And then on the flip side, you have the, the Felicia Sanmez, who's, you know, because there is no intermediary for, you know, there is no person that's going to come in and rip the phone out of her hand, literally, you know, she's able to just have this complete public meltdown on on Twitter and, and basically kind of tank her professional reputation oh, in oh, yeah, yeah. a couple I'm, days. I'm, I'm... I mean, I wonder what would happen if Dave Weigel tried to go seven days uh, wadding out like that, you know? But, oh, um, oh, if, that's what I'm saying with, with like what I was saying before, where it's like people have this assumption that I think white guys can get away with a lot more. Like if Dave Weigel ab- like went just buck wild on his, yeah. uh, like that, he would have, I mean, people wouldn't be talking about how like, oh, it sucks that he got fired for tweet retweeting or he got suspended for retweeting a, a stupid joke. They'd be like, Oh my God! This guy. Is be like, can somebody go and check on David and make sure he's okay? Is he yeah, having, like, like, a like do we need to have like a like a like intervention check on him? Yeah. Like he's losing it. Uh, 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 the reason why I brought up the whole uh, Netflix thing, where all these people are writing about, like, 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 they, like they shut down this important uh, black journal for activism, is like. I was adding on to Omar's point about this idea that everything is, is combined, like like chasing the bag is interspersed with everything. So so it's like uh, even when I'm even when I'm I'm a journalist, but I'm going to go get a marketing job. But you're still supposed to treat me like I'm doing journalism. Uh, Patrice Cullors is supposed to be an activist, but she also wants to be a mogul. But somehow being a mogul and getting a Warner overall deal and buying houses. It's supposed to be complementary to her activism, you know, and, and that's the kind of thing with these people. And what I kind of think happened is I think Tumblr did this to people because if you've ever had a Tumblr, I had a Tumblr for like a month because I didn't understand what Tumblr was at first. And after a while, I'm like, oh, I can't fuck with this thing. But I remember I had Tumblr and I would follow some people and it would be the weirdest thing because everything is in bite sizes, right? But it's like one post is porn. The next post is um, something about Supernatural. The next post is about Doctor Who. Then the next post is about lynching. And, next and then the next post again. is porn of Doctor Who and Supernatural. Yeah, exactly. And I think everything's just blending in your head. Like, like if you look at Tumblr all day, you know, your brain probably just becomes this giant mix of porn, activism, corporate products, and, you know, um, Beyonce pictures. Like, I think... They just start fusing things in their head naturally as just all together. Like, you know, commerce, activism, uh, porn, BDSM tips. It, it's all just one giant space in their brain at once. And they and, write and like think, that. The, the oh, no, keep like, going. Oh, yeah, I'm done. Oh, yeah, I was, I was just going to say the other thing is I think, you know, especially going with the, the BLM stuff and, and, and with a lot of this, you know, and a lot of the kind of activism that, that sort of comes off as, you know, blatantly kind of commercial is this idea that because we're locked in this zero sum game culture war with the right, any, you know, any admission that like, oh, this is kind of, you know, corrupt 
is in a way because it's it's weakening you're not even weakening but because it it is in some way working against your own side it is helping the other side right so it, it's like no we have to like circle the wagons about this stuff we can't you know we can't let them kind of pull a win out of this even though like you know it's pretty clear to anybody outside of that you know very you know in kind of insular group that it's like oh no this is just corrupt like and and to be able to call that out would actually make you much stronger but i do honestly think these people like felicia and these netflix employees are we we can't throw out the ability the uh the thought that these people may be genuine because i believe before we should all be reactionary when it comes to I guess talking about these issues, let's all think about how we respond to this as leftists, in my opinion. Uh, remember that there is no left in the US at this current time, there are only individual leftists. And like this fact resulting from both wings of capital successfully using the red and purple scares to miseducate the population. And like we as leftists are fewer in number than we realize our existence is just highlighted by niche targeting of algorithms on social media platforms. And I honestly believe that instead of being, I guess, again, saying reactionary, let's respond with, I guess, some sort of social or political education through like sharing of our experiences with management. And we as leftists having sarcastic reactions without an explanation of our ideological thought processes are widely perceived by like, the wider public to be like political contrarians. And if if y'all have ever worked in the kitchen before, if you're just a political contrarian, people just think you're a piece of shit. Like it, it, oh, yeah, I'm for typically sure. referring to like those few people who are actually more than uh people would know, people who are liberal who work in these like I guess like uh what's it called? Uh essential worker jobs and these people believe because not because they're evil or anything or have ill intent thoughts that if they do something reactionary in this way with their ideology that they will be able to have some type of power at the workplace and this i'm saying this because this isn't just a response that felicia or netflix bloggers have this is a response many people across all economic lines are having because They've just been manipulating, manipulate, have been manipulated into thinking that this is what activism is and this is how they're going to get things and make their, I guess, workplaces better instead of actually being in community with their uh, fellow employees because they believe that they can bully capital as a better way using social media instead of having or using like uh, the power that they would with their other employees because they believe honestly that. It's it's better for them. It looks better for them. It's like sort of collecting clout in a way, if that makes sense. I think that I agree with you in the sense that uh, it's not enough to just be like snide and sarcastic and, you know, dismiss this stuff. Like you do have to articulate what your what what is the response from your your political ideology to all of this. But at the same time, I, I do think it's also necessary to. Um, explain why this shit is not only harmful um like you have to explain why this stuff is counterproductive right and you have to explain also where it comes from like 
I'm 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 just not uh naive enough to think that I'm going to be like I'm gonna find myself uh in a uh a picket line next to a Felicia Sanmez. I'm just not. This is never gonna happen. Right, like I'm not I'm not going to be engaging in labor activism alongside people like that. Uh, I it'd be great if it'd be great if like, you know, uh some of these people got off of their high horses and you know stopped doing the uh the whole like you know uh class reductionism is not going to solve racism kind of bullshit because what like their their political project is not better workplace conditions their political project is advancement for themselves regardless of what happens to their peers Mm -hmm. they can disguise it in the language of um this is you know it's not just for me it's for women of color that have to deal with this in the workplace and yada, yada, yada. And it's just like, no, I, I, I don't fucking believe you because I can't tell you, this is one of the reasons why I don't have a lot of journalist friends and I don't really travel in journalist circles is that like, I know so many people like this and they're full of shit. They don't actually care. They might say these things because it makes them look good, but as to how their politics functions in the workplace, uh, what kind of people are they hanging around? What kind of stories are they telling and what, what ideas do they hold? behind closed doors, like what are the things that they're saying and talking about when nobody has a tape recorder on or has a video camera on? I just, I I don't buy that people like that have the best interests of their peers at heart. What they want is career advancement and they'll use the, um, they'll use the, the language of, uh, solidarity to forward their own, you know, self-involved and careerist projects. But where it comes to, like, when they get what they want, they're out of here. They'll disappear. Oh, but I do believe that they that they believe their individual, I guess, like, uh, career advancement is sort of like a, a representational key that can open doors for, quote, unquote, people behind them. And I believe those people are a majority of people who have been misled within these PMC spaces. Yeah, that's also true. Like, yeah, this whole like, if you if you can't see it, you can't be it thing, and a lot of people want to be trailblazers. Like, yep, if you know, if I can do this, then you know, wh- what about some uh, young uh, young girl, some young black boy, some gay dude? You know, uh, are, are they going to um, are they going to you know pick up pick up the torch, or are they going to pick up the baton and follow along behind me? Like, yeah, there's a lot of people who do think like that. Um, but again, I, I think that's also no. I think it's also like another um, red herring, and really, what's yeah. behind it is it's just it's careerism. Like that's that's it's, what they yeah. say. But I don't know. It, it just really smacks of Kamala Harris type of politics, you know? Yeah, like wanting somebody to be the first black woman to like lead the Death Star, which is which is pretty. Yeah, exactly. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You want to you want to be the first managing editor at the Washington Post. To propagandize Americans into another invasion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say the one other thing that, because there was that, I don't know if we talked, if you guys talked about this, but there there was that other article, or there's that other kind of response where I think it was a, like an AFL uh, CIO, uh, AFL CIA, <laughs> um, like oh, organizer. Yeah, was and like, she's, she's actually, actually one of the organizers that went to, she was actually and one of the organizers that went to go work for Netflix. She did. She did. Yeah. She said Hell that uh, yeah. Netflix, Netflix <laughs> pulled her out of her like her her secure uh, unionized job with benefits and everything, lured her over to Netflix, 
And then, you know, and, and now she's looking for work again, you know? Oh, God. And like, yeah. No, and, 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 I, and her point, though, like, on oh, wait, one hand, I'd be like, well, that's probably that? a good lesson about solidarity. But on another hand, there was like, she was basically saying, like, even if you're in a union, if you say something that'll get you canceled, you can still be fired, right? It, it was essentially like... Yeah, she said the union is not there to protect you from the consequences of your own actions. And I'm like, yes, that it fucking is. is. Where, yeah, it's where, just where, like, where, yeah. who, who is this? if who I is feel insecure, if you make your coworkers feel insecure, it's like, when they say if you make your coworkers feel insecure, they mean like, you're showing up drunk to like, drive the forklift. They don't mean like, you retweeted, you know, a post. Like, uh, yeah, man, yeah. that that really that that was a very dark response. Yeah, just, his language has been co-opted, fellas. This who's, language who's response was this? No, who was who was this? This is Felicia. She said this. No, 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 a, no, no. It was a, an, an AFL CIO rep. Yeah, oh, okay, or ex okay. AFL CIO rep who basically had this whole equally deranged tweet thread about how you know being in a union is basically just like being in a social club and that you know like don't worry liberal like don't worry you know like well-heeled liberals like if somebody you view as below you does something that you really don't like like you'll still be able to fire them oh there we go sarah sarah david okay so i'll I'll say all right here here's her tweets uh she was responding to john gans who said Weigel retweeted a women be shopping level joke and got suspended without pay. Do they have a union there? To which Sarah David says, workers unions don't protect members from the consequences of their own actions and allow them to act with impunity. Only cops organize like that. Like that in capital L and capital T. This bums me out. Union work is harm reduction that requires empathy, honoring the spirit of a contract reached with collaboration and consensus. Most privileged tweeters, in parentheses, on the left and the right, in parentheses, you're also desperate to defend. Don't even do the work or show up to meetings. I don't know or care about the OP, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. It's just lazy to say the union must, quote unquote, fix this because that dismisses any union mem- members who took issue. I bet WAPO union is already organizing against the discipline, but it's also their duty to listen to and advocate for all her parties. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is interesting, though. This is, I feel like this is interesting because people who, I guess, in the South where I am, who have no experiences with unions are at this time currently finding out that it is possible for some unions to be corrupt. And I believe it's genius in her part to compare this to a police union, which is, in fact, one of the few corrupt unions in this country in her favor. I feel like that was genius on her part. It may be wrong, but it was pretty genius in her thing. Yeah, I mean, sort of, but no, because it basically is to say that uh, only cop unions protect members from the consequences of their actions. I used to be a UFCW member, right? Like United Food and Commercial Workers. I, I worked in a grocery warehouse, so like we would pick items um, from the freezer and from uh from like these uh these these different areas of the warehouse and uh put them on pallets to be put into the trucks the trucks would then deliver the food items to grocery stores i saw people come into work fucking wasted i saw people come into work high i know people that like uh had had gotten like um uh in accidents with forklifts 
wild, drunk, and high. Uh, always, and, always. And, and like, the, the job of the union was to go to bat for these members no yeah, matter like, what. Sometimes management just doesn't realize that I'm actually better at driving the forklift truck when I'm drunk. Like that's Listen, that's yeah, true. the pallet loader. Listen, man, I can hang. Listen, I'm drifting the fucking pallet loader around corners and shaving time off of, like, I'm shaving seconds, if not minutes, off of my pick times. Okay? Yeah. And I can do that, that when, when I've got. Shit. Yeah, exactly. When I've had, you know, just like a couple, a couple of great goose yeah, shots no, before is, starting is, the shift just to take the one, edge off. It's yeah. one and one third beer, or one and two thirds beers. That's how it is. Like, you drink a beer and you leave, like, a second. You haven't finished the second beer, but you've almost <laughs> finished it. That's the exact. That is the, like, prime amount of beer that you need to drink to excel at your job in manual. I had seen, I have seen, I'd seen union members get into fucking fist fights on the, on the workplace floor. Uh, people were like playing practical jokes by leaving shit in each other's lockers. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And the union went to bat to protect these people from losing their jobs. So I, I don't know what the hell she's talking about when she says only cops organize. Like, every fucking no, union is supposed a, to organize like well, that. Well, because that... Yeah, sorry. Ima imagine going about... to imagine going to Big Bill Haywood and saying, "Union work is harm reduction." Uh, Big Bill, empathy. we need you to center all vo all agreed <laughs> voices in this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe what she's talking about, though, is in reference to what I was saying before about like unions being corrupt. Like she is kind of hitting on a point in in her favor in like a negative way, saying that often those unions who have been existing for a longer time tend to create an upper echelon or class within their union itself that are basically sort of overseers for all of the rest of the workers. And I feel like, I'll say this again, she's manipulating that rhetoric she and language. She ain't that, bro. She wasn't saying well, none of I mean, you're right that there is, a, you know, there is such a thing as labor aristocracy, but she wasn't even getting into all that. She was just like using some... We see you, we hear you language. Well, I feel like that's what people hear. That may not would have been she, what she was saying, but that's when yeah. people who are as educated as they're supposed to be in the workplace, when they hear something like that and they're not as educated on this language and the consistency of it, that's that's what they hear. They're hearing like, Dog. oh, yeah. Dog, yeah. if I heard my shop steward talking like that, I'd be like, oh, man, my, my ass is getting <laughs> yeah, look, look, at, look at my Look at my shop steward, dog. We're about to, this thing is about to get rolled up on my management. I'm losing all my benefits, fam. Yeah, you're losing everything, man. <laughs> all right, I'm going to let y'all go so Bita can get in here. All right, man. All right great, Bita. great. Uh, we're gonna end it. We're gonna end it with uh, Vita. So Vita, you uh, second second time in a row, you are closing it out. Oh, duh! I forgot to hit the next. Hey, Vita, how's it going? Vita, you there? Unmute yourself, girl. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait! Real quick, wait for you. Uh, unmute. Hey, people who are listening online anonymously, uh, please. Uh, before we sign off. Uh, log in. It's free to log in. There's like 115 people listening anonymously on the desktop. Um, it, it's free 116 to log in. people, dog. Holy smokes! Yeah. So basically, it as far as Colin is concerned, message. as far as Colin is concerned, uh, we have like 50 people listening because they don't count anybody who's listening anonymously on the web. Exactly. Exactly. So, so if you want us to. Uh, keep doing this and let you know management know that we are um, you know listened to. It helps us to be 
for yeah, you to we be need logged in. To, to center your to center your voice. You know, you yeah. need to be logged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be, to even, be heard. Even, yeah. Even if you sign up real quick, you know, in for like uh, a minute, you know, just uh, open a window, open a second tab, and and make an account, and then uh, refresh the first tab, and that will help us immensely. It doesn't even cost you any money. And yeah, hey Vita, um, by all means. Hey, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, you're good. Yep. Okay. Um, cause last time they couldn't hear me. Um, first, uh, thank you for giving me an opportunity to be up on here. Shout out to you guys and shout out to Q. Hi, Q. Um, What's up, Vita? <laughs> um, well, I actually want to piggyback off of something you said, Q, um, because I, I, I have a hard time with these conversations in media. Not with you guys. You guys are saying great shit. But the people in media who work in, you know, film and things like that, being these pseudo-revolutionaries and acting like they're taking a stance on shit all the time, because a lot of what they claim, if they really were about that life, they wouldn't even be working for these companies. Like, wait, wait, Vita, are you, are you, saying, are you saying that blogging about uh, the black kid on Stranger Things is not taking a stand for black lives? <laughs> Yes, exactly what I'm saying. I watched the Queen's just, Gambit. I saved. Uh, I basically uh, cause like women's rights. So you're welcome, ladies. <laughs> but that's how they act. Like it's just so crazy to me because none of this shit that they put out is even revolutionary. None of it's like any real critical thought. None of it, none of it makes you think of anything in a new way. It literally just repeats the same Twitter and academia talking points. Um, that are popular in liberal spaces, right? So they're not even producing dope content, which is part of the reason why I think the shit was trash, because they themselves just have no real politics. So it's not like they brought in somebody who was revolutionary in their thinking, and they came in with some revolutionary ideas, and then, you know, Netflix was on some bullshit, and they got into it, and they rolled out. Because I feel like if you're really about that life, you're just gonna leave anyway. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, I was watching the Sesame Street documentary. If you guys have not seen it, it's really great. It's on HBO. One of the things they talked about is they hired this black guy to help with the show because what they were doing when they created the show, they were targeting mostly black kids in the hood who couldn't read. They were trying to use television to teach kids to read, right? Um, So they brought in this black guy who was basically about that life, right? He was like pretty pro-black, but they wanted his perspective and him to also be a consultant. Well, he did some stuff on the show. He worked on the show for a few years. When shit wasn't, you know, when he felt like shit wasn't really moving in the direction he felt was necessary, he rolled out. He left, <laughs> you know? And I think that's the thing. If these people are really about that life, instead of going off in the media or on social media, you just be about that life and you take your talents elsewhere. But they want attention and they want to come off as looking like they're revolutionary. It's all about branding for themselves because remember a lot of this world right now especially since everybody's damn near freelance (laughs) you know um it's about self-branding so if they can look like Mm -hmm. they're these revolutionaries they feel like they can get a job somewhere else that's looking for that brand i don't think it's really about them being about any of this shit like and that's the point that i want to back off the crazy thing is they seem to really believe their own hype. Like, like all these articles that their friends were writing about them, like, I can't believe Netflix hired these people to bring diversity and to uh, do all this. No, Netflix hired them to show. That's all they hired them to do. And 
when the numbers didn't go up, the shilling wasn't working. Like, you know, that, that's business. Exactly. You know? Because it, and that's the thing. Um, I felt like they were trying to um they, they were trying to play like they weren't there to build this corporate brand, right? You know what you're going to a corporation for. You're not going there for their morals. You're not going no. there for their ethics. You're not going there because you feel like they're going to take a stand against the things that you're passionate about. There's no fucking way. There's no fucking way you can know the shit that you know or claim to know, especially when it comes to marginalized groups and underprivileged groups and uh, all this shit. There's no way you did all that reading, alleged reading, and did all that shit, and then you walked into Netflix or any of these companies, Washington Post or any of them, and thought, oh, this is the space for revolutionary thought. This is the space of independent action. There's no way you thought that. So I, I was, just to pay back for what Q was saying, these people don't really be about that life. That's not but, how but, they talk. But, but for, these, for these people, they think corporations are the road to revolution, which is inherently paradoxical and contradictory, but I don't know where I don't it started, even think but... they think that. I think you're giving them too much credit. Maybe. Well, 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 they want people to believe that, I'll say. I, I, maybe they don't really believe it yeah. in their hearts, but they, but they want to act that way. Um, yes, you know, that I agree yeah, with. Yeah, yeah they, well, they definitely want to portray that. And that, and like, the other thing is, like, all these people are like, oh, I'm so surprised that Netflix hired these people, you know, and it's like, I don't know, like, it seems to be kind of getting down a little bit on Netflix, right? It's like, wow, I'm so shocked that they hired, like, a person of color to do this. Like, now, if it was, like, Papa John's or something, I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, like, I am kind of surprised. But, like, with Netflix, like, you think you want to be like, oh, no, this is exactly what's in keeping with, like, Netflix's wait, ethos. Okay. Oh, wait, but, but what's in keeping with a lot of these newer tech companies? Like, that's, was like, their whole surprised? thing. Is... I feel like people were surprised they got fired, at least according to how people were tweeting. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought it was that they were. I, I thought you said hired. I was like, oh, like, that's oh, kind of. Oh, 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 oh no, they were acting surprised and shocked that they were that they were fired. As in, like you know, oh, they thought they were just well, giving these yeah, I mean, permanent jobs or something. Yeah, like I mean, what what did they think this was? Like, yeah, this this company that exists to make like the worst television, like a, a worse version of like the Witcher show from like the seventies that somehow costs like four million dollars an episode like do you, do you really think that's gonna be around like you don't think that this isn't just like a, a media bubble like i mean i feel bad for yeah the they that canceled, were lured in but like they canceled like 50 percent of their animation staff including uh, a show by the guy that created adventure time like that guy's a legit celebrity or star in animation like yeah, if yeah. he's expendable if, if, they're, if they're getting rid of megan markle's shows if they're getting rid of uh ibram kendy's uh Anti, oh anti god! I didn't baby. even know they were making that until they canceled it. I was like, "Yeah, oh, is that man, is dude. that crazy?" And we I, dodged a was, bullet with that one. No, no, no. I disagree. I wanted to see that so bad. That would have been oh. such a well, great yeah, episode. You would have been able to I, comment on it for the rest exactly. of us. That just, <laughs> that just took the psychic damage of having to watch. I, I feel like, like under Title Nine, you know, the worst part of that too is like Trevor would have watched that shit with such like relish and oh, wild yeah. abandon. Yeah, I wanted and that. Then he would have hit me up midweek, like, "Hey, hey, Q, have you watched it yet? Hey, we're talking about it this Sunday. Oh, hell yeah. Have you have you watched it yet? Fully knowing that, like, I'm I'm avoiding it, like, like, like the play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, like, here's no. Here's the thing. I think that under Title Nine, if we're going to make an animated show called Anti-Racist Baby, I think the Fairness Doctrine does dictate that we also make an animated show." 
called Racist Baby, which is the opposite. Well, of that. well, 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 well my plan, my, my, my hope was that Netflix, Netflix has, uh, they bought the rights to anti, to Boss Baby. So I wanted Anti-Racist Baby and Boss Baby to have a crossover where Anti-Racist Baby helps Boss Baby get woke. And that would have been uh, a great... A Papa great John's Boss oh Baby. Oh my gosh. Robin D'Angelo <laughs> guest starring in The Great Crossover. Oh, a man. Robin D'Angelo Boss Baby. Wait, yeah. what is Anti-Racist Baby? Oh my God. Google, oh Google, God. Anti- Google Anti-Racist Baby. because I can't do it oh. any justice. It's, it's a, a cool real thing? thing? Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a real book. thing. It's, uh, this guy, Ibram Kendi, who's like a big pusher of... Um, woke capitalism he has, this, he, he has an anti-racist book festival every year and and in it there's like workshops and forums on how to break into the anti-racist publishing thing it's it's the most crazy thing it's so corporate and and crazy and one of his books he has a children's book called anti-racist baby and it's a picture book like anti-racist baby sees a racist you know anti-racist baby knows that uh allies can be Racist too, and, and it's like a really crazy uh, book what? to help teach teach babies not to be racist. <laughs> it's just, it's what? Yeah, yeah, and, and and Netflix optioned it. If you want to know why Netflix had to start firing people because there was no quality control there, Netflix paid him like millions of dollars to develop content for them, and one of them was going to be anti-racist baby, the animated show. Wow, and I'm, that was canceled. I'm... I'm looking at these pictures and I'm already confused. But I've seen that name, Ibram X. Kendi. I think I've Ibram seen his Kendi name on, like, wrote. Uh, he wrote a really. I thought. I thought this book was actually good. Stamped from. Yeah, the most, that's the worst part. Most people say that when he was good, he was really good. He just kind of sold out. Yeah, he he he. When he wrote Stamped from the beginning, that was actually a good book. But then he wrote, what was it? How to be how to be an anti racist. And that was just like that was the that was the beginning of the decline, you know. Yeah, and, and, like, and it's one of the reasons why I don't get on Robin D'Angelo too much because a lot of people who hate Robin D'Angelo in that community will be like, "Oh, you're paying a white woman when you can have someone like Ibram Kendi." But even Kendi, I think that sounds even worse. His "How to Be Anti-Racist." I think I'd actually rather read Robin D'Angelo than uh, "How to Be an Anti-Racist." From what yeah, I, Robin yeah. D'Angelo can connect with her intended audience, which is just like you know, deeply, like, insecure, like, middle-aged white people. Exactly. That, like, like, she is preaching well, it's, to her it's, own people. It's, it's not, no, it's not just, I wouldn't, I mean, it is, yes, that is true. But it's also, like, um, middle managers who know that they're, they need to do something in the workplace to placate black employees who are beginning to voice discontent, but they don't have an actual, like, approved corporate method for it so i think what robin d'angelo did in many ways was like pioneer the diversity equity and inclusion industry with um white fragility well what she did is she saw that episode of the office where michael decides to do like the racial like awareness day yeah diversity day and everybody was like it was like like because that's the the thing that i that i dislike the most about Robin D'Angelo is that if you left it up to middle managers to come up with their own like anti-racist programming we would have some absolute bangers coming out like every other week like some guy like Lockheed Martin is just like 
Yeah, like, like just, try, like, trying to, like, have everybody read, like, Malcolm X and do, like, a reading group. Or just, just the kind of nonsense that, like, some old, like, old guy that's just, like, trying to cover his ass in, in case of, like, a, a lawsuit comes up with. You know? <laughs> but, like, because of Robin D'Angelo, now they actually have, like, an, uh, you know, a, a contractor they can call in to do that, which, which sucks, you know? You don't get, you don't get the, the kind of, like wildcat like humor that comes from you know totally yeah Ro- robin d'angelo is like um robin d'angelo is like uh uh mr wolf from pulp fiction you know like the the one that you you see to to clean up your mess when you've had like a racial incident in your workplace you yeah, she, up... she, she could have really done some work at papa john's that's all i'm saying like... i'm actually surprised that uh they didn't call her in for that cleanup see i, I, don't know, I oh, 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 no, oh no 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 papa john's did have uh a racial fixer bozoma st john oh that's right that's right bozoma st john was hired by papa john's for like uh high six figures to sit there for a year and just uh leave and say okay guys they're not racist anymore before she moved on to like uh, Uber, do the same thing. That's that's wow. Yeah. So, wait, so they have people that are specifically fixers for racial <laughs> problems. Yeah, yeah. And- oh, yeah. yeah. You get accused of racism, wow. and then uh, Bazoma St. John shows up, and then she does. She gives like a couple of scholarships, and does like the most bare minimum shit, and then um, she moves on and says you're no longer racist. She did it for Apple, like uh, Uber. She did a couple of places, especially when they got some kind of recent controversy and everything i mean she's a real she's a real terrible person like 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 after george floyd happened uh she went on cnn uh right after oh the pass the mic segment yeah and, and was there for to tell people what uh she's the white people brought her there to say what people want from george floyd and she goes, yeah, you know, uh, this stuff is really terrible. And that's why we're doing this thing about, like, share the mic or something, where we have white women influencers like Kim, like Kourtney Kardashian and other people uh, share their passwords to the social media accounts with a black woman influencer for a day, for a week, and let them have control of their account. And, you know, <laughs> so basically, oh, 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 yeah. What? Yeah. No, what? This, this is dead ass. She, so, so basically, she had Kourtney Kardashian's um, uh, um, uh, Instagram account for like a week, and all she did was post selfies of herself and and her bio, and tell the, the white people who follow Kourtney Kardashian why they should follow her account. And all of them were like that. They had like twelve or fifteen black women take over the accounts of twelve or fifteen more popular white women, and it wasn't she took over the account and it said. Here's all this stuff about systemic racism. It was just like, you know, hi, I'm Bazoma, and you know, I tweet about this and I I do about this. You should follow us and help signal boost me. It was the most craven. She's she's what? 20, 2020 was such a beautiful time, man. We were we were awesome. Like like I feel like every three years we look back and go, man, those were really the days. Yeah, we like, we, I, I, we squandered so much goodwill. Like like we had all these eyes on us. All these people were ready to do stuff and they found the worst people to squander that spot <laughs> that spotlight well i don't know if we're going to get an opportunity like that again but uh the system well, works I, well. I, I, I think that was intentional like i there's no way that's not a there's too many people yeah that they could have talked to exactly. that's actually doing some real shit 
for that not to have been intentional. Like that's wild to me that they had this. Oh no, it was absolutely intentional. And I, 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 I've said this so many times. I can tell you the exact day that it pivoted from uh, a popular uprising to bourgeois co-optation. Do you all remember Blackout Tuesday? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blackout Tuesday. Yeah, that was when. Black profile pics. Yeah. June second, twenty twenty. June second, twenty twenty. Right. This was when. Um, these two black women, uh, Jamila Thomas and Brianna Agimang, um, that worked at Atlantic Records, created this hashtag called the show must be paused. And what they were talking about was, oh, uh, you know, these, these, uh, record companies and these entertainment companies make all of this money off of black creativity, but you don't actually value black people. So... They had oh this they had this day on social media called Blackout Tuesday where everybody um like on your Instagram profile you would just use a solid black square so you'd take off your profile picture and put a solid black square um alongside the hashtag you know hashtag Blackout Tuesday but then what people were also doing was um adding the hashtag Black Lives Matter so the problem was uh, people who were engaged in like street level protests and these were like protests where police stations were being burned down and, you know, people were like out in the streets squaring off with like police and fascists and so on. Uh, you, you would go to like check the hashtag Black Lives Matter to find out like where the protest action was happening, who was organizing it, where to meet up and stuff like that. And all you would just see is just a bunch of like, just a bunch of black squares. And I was like, and the moment that happened, when they started talking about, oh, you know, the music industry, this, that, and the third, versus talking about like police brutality, talking about black lives, talking about like the problems of the the problems that the black working class face. As soon as that became the focus, i.e., like you know what the music industry does or what like the tech industry does, I was like, it's over, it's done, and. It was like the following week where you saw Bazoma St. John on CNN with that whole pass the mic shit. And I, I was like, and, and um, I remember when she was doing that, when she was on CNN talking about pass the mic, um, the, I forget which anchor it was. I was asking her about her experiences as a black woman and the kind of racism she's faced and hand to God. Like, I promise you, she actually said this. You can go and look it up for yourself. She said that white people look at her strangely in the first Class, first class section, section on her flights yeah when she's flying somewhere yes oh, white people look at her I in the first class that. section and she's not supposed to be there yeah y- yeah 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 and, and i think i heard about C-suites. that yeah i i just posted so, a link to i had it. a it's question called, share the mic oh. now i just shared i just shared a link to it in the chat if you want to see it but yeah yeah uh, go on go on Vita. well i was just curious about how you guys felt about um that statement in itself like this when people try to call out industries can you guys hear me okay yeah we can oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Totally, totally. um sorry oh no you know there's a voice outside anyway um i'm just curious what you guys think about like that just that call out in itself to like companies and being like oh because i know how i feel about it but they're always like oh you make me not black people but you know what about this issue you know, I'm always curious, like, how do people feel about that? Because me personally, I'd be thinking, why do y'all have such high expectations of these companies? 
but um, but a lot of these companies did listen and start hiring those people that we were just talking about, right? Um, so I'm just curious to know how you guys feel when those kind of conversations even come up at all. I mean, if they want to ask these companies to hire them, then, you know, knock them, knock yourself out. But what I hate about them is they're mostly quiet most of the time and just sucking it up. But when something big happens, like George Floyd or Mike Brown or whatever, and there's some kind of grassroots thing happening, then they jump in and co-opt it with this crap. And that's what makes me upset. Like, if you want to fight for your own bougie concerns, that's your time, that's your dime, do it. But don't use, like, real grassroots moments in the culture to then uh, insert yourself in and then divert all the attention from people who really need it at a critical time. And that's what I hate. Their timing and yeah. how they uh, just piggyback and take away resources from important discussions. Yeah, and, you know, like, for me, you know, as, as like, a white person, you know, I tried to do blackout dude in real life. Like, I, I actually painted my face as a black square. And, you know, I didn't hear anybody standing up when I showed up to work like that. Jesus you know? Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't call that black <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, like, this is Blackout Tuesday. What are you guys talking about? Like, I imagine like one person was like, "Oh, you just upload a black square." Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, damn! What the hell did I stay home and put on a shoe polish on my face for in the first place? Fuck. You know, yeah, it's like it, it's uh, but like it, it, it speaks to like this um, this like the surface level. I don't even like to call it virtue signaling. It's like, you know, the aesthetics of radicalism to me, where it's like um, they talk about radicalism and they invoke black radicals. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard like Asada taught me on social media or people talk about like Audre Lorde, uh, the master's tools um, can never take down the master's house. Like they'll, they'll have all of these like radical slogans but their politics evinces none of that whatsoever. Like, there's nothing about their politics that's anything besides, like, bog-standard, like, striverist liberalism. And that's the part that... That's, that's the part where I'm just like, if you want to be that, go be that. But don't... Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't feel like I should have to be involved in that whatsoever. Like, I don't need to be involved in your crusade to forward your own career on the back of radical politics. I think, like, you know, just to you know, tie this all in with uh, Felicia Sonmez, I think that's entirely what that's about. Because if she's somebody who actually believed in what she was saying, then she wouldn't be at the Washington Post. And that's not to say that, like, you can't have radical politics and write for mainstream publications. I think you absolutely can. But when you expect those publications to share your radical politics, much less, like, run their business in such a way that reflects it, then you're either delusional or you're lying to people, and that's what does I really. She even have, does she even about. have? Did, did she even have radical politics? Like, do you think she considers herself a, a radical? I have no idea. But when she's talking about like, oh, you know, I'm doing this for like, you know, people of color, and I'm doing this for like, you know, uh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, you know, like you're you're acting like you're you know, fucking the second coming of Gloria Steinem, and it's like I don't think you actually care that much. You know what I mean? I'm wiling out on behalf of others, basically. I think you're dead on, Q. I agree, 100%. Okay, so I think this is a good place to end it. Thank you, everybody, who uh, 
came on, who came up, follow everybody on the stage, follow your fellow speakers, follow your fellow audience members, let's build a community. Uh, go to ChampagneSharks.com to see how to uh, follow and support um, my other podcast, Champagne Sharks. Best way being go to Patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks and become a subscriber. But all the links you need are on ChampagneSharks.com. And uh, Q, if you want to let them know how to support uh, Resistance Noir. Uh, Q, are you there? I don't know if you heard. Oh, sorry about that. I was muted. Oh, yeah, uh, patreon.com okay. forward slash RZNWA. Uh, you can also support uh, the culture, patreon.com forward slash the culture with a K. Okay, and Rory. TV. And Rory, if you have anything you want to plug, you know, feel free. Before yeah, you can You can follow me on Truth Social, the uh, number one <laughs> number one alternative for uh, free-speaking Americans. I am at White Coney on Truth Social. <laughs> Is, is that a, I don't even know what that is. Is that a, is that a real um, it's, it's Donald the, Trump's? It's, the tr- oh. it's Trump's social media. It is so bad, man. It is the worst. Is it worse than Gab? That that I, I saw Gab. That was crazy looking. Well, Gab. I mean, it's not even content. It's just like it's so shitty to use, man. It, it's it's just like it makes you realize how good you have it on Twitter, which I know is shocking, but like. Imagine, like, trying to browse Twitter, like, up to your waist in, like, molasses. That's Twitter's what it well feels designed. like. It's, Twitter's well-designed. It's just the worst people on Earth, but it's, it is well-designed. Well, no, even its design is really bad. Like, I, that's actually the thing that's... Okay, this is a very much a, a, a digression, but, like... Yeah, you can follow me on on uh, on Twitter, I guess. Carlos for Pete. At Carlos for Pete. So, yeah, that's about it, really. I mean, I guess I have a podcast. And don't forget to, yeah, I was going to say, don't forget to plug your upcoming podcast. Yeah, I have a a podcast coming up uh, with the culture. It's uh, Radio Free Davos. And I'm actually working on the uh, logo for that right now. So, yeah, big things coming. Yeah. Uh, You know, if you want to hear about uh, what the ruling class is up to and uh, basically just like how finance capital is just absolutely horse fucking the entire world. Uh, once the podcast is and, out, we'll... and if you want to have me read out uh, comments from Newgrounds games from 2009 <laughs> yeah alright guys everyone uh, take care be good thanks guys alright take all it right. easy bye, bye.